Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to, uh, geez, I think this is our first on-location edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Great to have you with us. Andrew Patterson with you live from beautiful Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, site of the Tim Hortons Olympic Curling Trials. We'll be here all week long. Talk about it a little bit later on with our pal Ted Wyman from the Winnipeg Sun. Great to see the Manitoba Mafia, well represented of the media portion, of course. As Ted, Jay Bell from the Winnipeg Free Press, Melissa Martin here as well. Great to see all them as well today. And uh, we'll have a little intro or interview with Ted later on about the uh, weekend here at Saskatoon. And of course, focusing in on uh, all of the Manitoba teams. Big game this afternoon. If you're with us live on YouTube, Manitoba versus Manitoba on the men's side of things. Mike McEwen at 1-0, taking on Jason Gunlickson at 0-1. Both of those teams have already had their bye, so they'll be playing in uh, all of the matchups for the rest of the uh, of the event. Of course, if you're listening on the podcast, great to have you with us. Um, at any point, if you have the opportunity to give us a five-star rating and add a comment or two uh, at iTunes, it certainly helps us. And, of course, everyone with us on YouTube hit that subscribe button and make sure you've given us a thumbs up. Thanks so much for the support. Um, big thanks to our sponsors who make this all happen. Uh, the entire crew, of course, Vita Health, Fresh Market, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Not Autocorp, Little Brown Jug Brewing, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ, of course, Canadian Club, and our betting partner, Cool Bet Canada. And speaking of Cool Bet, uh, if you check my social media feed, or just go to CoolBet on Instagram or Twitter. Myself and Chris Abbott have got a couple videos up today. One previewing this afternoon's draw with the men, and another one a little bit later on tonight for the women's draw, including a boosted parlay for you if you want to uh, maybe put a little sprinkle on the action here in Saskatoon. Um, lots coming up today. Of course, we do have a game this evening the Winnipeg Jets hosting the Pittsburgh Penguins. That was the one thing I was bummed about missing heading out here for the week. Uh, but it's Sidney Crosby and the Pens. And Jeff Hamilton is back from the road after covering the Jets in Edmonton and in Vancouver. Hammer's going to join us in about uh, 20 minutes or so. Um, we'll get his thoughts on uh, certainly the Jets heading into tonight and maybe even a little bit on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers who finished up the regular season and now await the winner of the Rough Riders and Calgary Stampeders in the West Final, which is set for December 5th. Of course, tickets are on sale now and going very well. Let's get Michael Remus in here. Remo, what's going on? Um, first and foremost, it is great to speak with you, and it's great that uh, that we pulled this off. This is actually working. We're going to air, right? You can hear me. We're, uh, we're good to go. Yeah, this thing, uh, somehow we, we did this. Uh, you are in. <laughs> Your hotel room in Saskatoon. Uh, I packed you. We packed like your suitcase. I think you have three tripods for this. I've used them all too, by the way. And they're I've all... used all of them. <laughs> yeah, there's so much uh, equipment there. I see a lot of comments in the chat house. People loving your your throne and your background. <laughs> it's being compared to a hostage video. Some people wondering if you put a black light over that chair before you sat down on it. I don't know. I don't know why you would need to do that, but uh, we, we are here. We're excited. This is awesome. So first, our first remote broadcast, we did do the testing yesterday, which was useful. 
And uh, and yeah, so yeah, power of the internet. It's pretty wild. I've got you know full personal Barry Horowitz moment here for actually. I mean, I think we all know we don't call Remus the CTO for nothing. When it comes to everything technical for this program, Remus has done everything. And uh, you know the I knew there was a lit, it was there was a nervous moment when he gave me all this stuff and said, "Okay, I'll talk to you when you get there." Uh, but yeah, we've got it set up, and uh, got to tell you, it's working perfectly. I love this headset. To be honest, I could use this every show. To be honest, and maybe we'll do that going forward. Mm-hmm. But the great thing is for Winnipeg Sports Talk, um, you know, moving forward, not even a year into this, now that we are able to broadcast remotely, I think the potential for us going forward for uh, some really cool events. Um, is limitless. So um, tell you what, it's great to be here. Really fun weekend. Shout out to everyone. Some great Saskatchewan hospitality so far. Although I will say I made a point of wearing a bomber jacket here. And, uh, you know, even even with the season that the bombers have had, the Ryder fans just can't help but uh, do a little bit of chirping. That being said, we'll see whether the Riders are able to make the trip and come on down to Winnipeg for the 5th of December of course, they're going to have to take care of the Calgary Stampeders next weekend if they want to do just that. Um, but, Remo, let's get to it. I mean, there's a lot. We had a huge weekend in the National Football League yesterday. Um, big weekends for the ice, for the Manitoba Moose. Of course, the Bombers, which we'll get to finishing up the regular season. But I'll tell you what, this is, uh, I'm really, I, I'm, I'm unfortunately going to miss this game tonight being here. Um, but I know you're going to be there tonight. Always special when Sidney Crosby gets into the building. And uh, for the Winnipeg Jets, I imagine they'll be a pretty hungry team after a day off on Saturday. Practice yesterday. Wanted to get back into the win column after a game on Friday night against the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, honestly, kind of same old, same old. Played very well. Got a ton of high danger scoring chances. Weren't able to convert. And it ended up being the penalty kill that ended up sinking the ship once again for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, and I think that game, Huss, uh, sad to say, had all the makings of a letdown game go again. And I didn't have uh, I didn't have the stones to pick Thatcher Demko on DraftKings that night. I went with the sure thing and Kemper on Friday, but I really thought you know the Jets. If there's any time for them to have a letdown game. You had the two emotional games against Edmonton that I think had a playoff like atmosphere. Losing. Um, in a shootout on Thursday after the Tuesday's game, I just thought it'd be really hard to to find, you know, find it to get up for the game. But to their credit, I mean, they outshot Vancouver. They put themselves in in you know for a chance to win. Thatcher Demko was very good. They also had Eric, Eric Comrie, who was I mean he was fine. But as you said again, Huss, it was the special teams and the penalty kill. Um, again, that's been an issue for the team this season. They kind of had sorted it out for a bit by stopping taking penalties, which. Um, which is a you know a good way to do it, but you go down and you look and the league standings has for penalty kill percentage. I have to scroll all the way down to thirty first in the league to find the Winnipeg Jets at sixty three point eight percent. There's only one team worse, and that was the team they played on Friday, Vancouver. And I had heard all week from the Vancouver media how horrible uh, their penalty kill was and how they wanted to fire, you know, the fans are... The fa- wasn't the team winning on Friday and the fans are still chanting... Everyone's uh, fire, fired. Fire banning. So, <laughs> um, I think that's something we're going to have to... That's going to have to get sorted out. You can't, you know, if you want to be a successful team, you can't be 31st in the league in penalty kill. It's, that's not getting it done. No, and, and, and here's the thing. Listen, I know the pitchforks were out for the captain after the game and, and Wheeler did not have a great game. Um, and there was all the, you know, everyone, you know, about breaking up the line and Svechnikov and all that. Um, 
if there was ever a time to have that conversation, it was after Friday's game. I mean, I certainly didn't think that those conversations were justified after the two games against Edmonton. Um, but, you know, the Wheeler didn't have a great game. And the thing that, you know, magnified everything was the fact that that second power play goal was, you know, on a terrible penalty to be taken by anyone, but especially the captain. And I was saying to you off air, um, you know, back in the day, like, you know, the late Claude Noel era, um, you know, Wheeler and Andrew Ladd as well, to be honest, were notorious for taking, you know, sometimes sort of lazy penalties, like 195 feet away from your own net. And um, and those, you just can't have those. Um, so that was, you know, for for folks that have tried to, tried to stump for, you know, Blake Wheeler and give him a little bit of slack um, because a lot of people haven't been doing that. Um, it wasn't a good look and it was frustrating. And I know I certainly heard Ken talk about it. The illegal curve guys talked about it on the weekend, you know, that, that maybe this would be, you know, a catalyst to moving Svechnikov back up. Doesn't look like that so far though, from the lines that we've seen today, Raymond and I, I, Paul Maurice isn't a guy that I think reacts quickly, especially with someone that, you know, he's gone to battle with so many times before. Um, but the bottom line is, I mean, it doesn't matter what line you're playing on, to be perfectly honest. You can't be taken at that sort of a penalty at any point, but especially when your penalty kill is 31st in the National Hockey League. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. It's kind of funny you bring bring that up for the uh, for the past penalties. I do remember that happening uh, a bit. The penalty is 90 feet from the net. You can't be. T- I agree. You can't be taking those. As far as the lines go. They're just rocking the same thing. I thought maybe we would have Paul Stasny back tonight, and then we can speculate, okay, where would he fit in? I think it's looking like, you know, to me, he would probably be on the fourth line to start, ease him, ease him in. You don't have to switch anything up too crazy. But uh, he was not on the ice uh, for the morning skate. Connor, according to Ken Weeb and um, Connor Hellebuck, he's back in the starter's goal. And the lines, I mean, no line changes. You know, we're pr- pretty much going with uh, what's been status quo here for the last couple of games. You know, you got, uh, what, let me just, let me bring them up here. But, yeah, the Dubois, uh, Connor, Wheeler, Shafley, Ehlers, Kopp. Anyway, you got Lowry, uh, Harkins. Let me pull them up here. Svetch, right? L- Lowry, Harkins, and Svetch. Svetch, yeah, and then Toninato, Nash, and uh, Veselainen, Morsi, Schmidt. Dylan Pionk, Stanley DeMello. So we're going with the same lines. I'm expecting a much, you know, much more, uh, you know, the team that we saw last week against Edmonton to show up tonight against Pittsburgh. Although, well, to look, be honest, I mean, yeah. that game, that game, I mean, I think the Jets were the better team in all three mm-hmm. periods on Friday. Uh, I mean, and this is what's so frustrating, and I'm sure drives a lot of fans crazy, and probably Paul Maurice as well, if you pump some truth serum into after the game. I mean, that was the game that they should have won. Um, and it wasn't like the goaltending was terrible or anything like that. It was the fact that they have been able to kill penalties. And against a team like Vancouver that's been having so many struggles, um, you know, you, you would like it to be, you know, a heck of a lot better. And if it was, we're probably talking about two points in the Jets going into tonight's action in first place in the Central Division. Um, I, I guess if you want to look at the glass half full, I mean, the team is still in a very nice spot in the standings. I mean, playing incredibly well at five on five from where I'm sitting. Um, and the bottom line is the penalty kill cannot get any worse right now, Reem, as you would have to think. And we kind of had the same conversation after the first, I don't know what, five, six games when it was like 50 percent. 
you knew that things would be getting better. But part of that is being a little bit more disciplined. And for the most part, I think they've been pretty good. But that's why that particular penalty taken by the captain of all people on Friday night um, lit a lot of pit, lit a lot of uh, many torches in and around the city and in chat rooms amongst jet fans uh, in the city and in the province. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely seeing it um, towards the captain. I mean, he doesn't have a goal this season. You know, that top line, Dubois, Svechnikov, and Connor was among the best lines in the league, and then you're breaking it, and then you're breaking it up. Um, and then again, that penalty at untimely, at a bad spot. I can see why people would be upset, but they're going with the same lines. I think a big picture, though, Hus. I mean, this Jets team, what the first first in the Central, they're I think top ten in the league in points percentage. I mean, on the whole, they're actually second, second. Minnesota oh, is one point oh, up, but the sorry, Jets what? have a game in hand with a win tonight. Their first place. In, okay, in fine, 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 fine. So I mean, on the big and and you know what, they're winning game. It wasn't like remember it was a couple years ago where they were had a great record, but they were getting outshot and Hellbuck was just saving them. That's not the case this year. They are out shooting teams. I mean, you've seen games where they've lost where, you know, they should have won. Like the, as you said, I mean, they were out shooting Vancouver on Friday. But it just didn't happen. So, look, you're not going to win. Yeah, the Thursday game against Edmonton where they got the one point, the game yeah. against St. Louis absolutely was one of those there cases. But, I mean, I'd far rather I'd far rather be talking about a team that is playing really well at five-on-five, five, um, you know, that has been somewhat snake-bit against a couple hot goalies at some point. And, I mean, our, the, the issue right now is something that you would think is absolutely correctable which would be a better penalty kill. And I'll say this, coming out of that game where it was just that so much of the talk was about the Jets' difficulties with a man disadvantage, it goes back to David Gustafson. And I know Ken talked about it in the post game, and the guys were kicking it around on Saturday morning when Kenny joined them. I mean, Weaver's been driving the Gus bus, but I've been right at the, at the front of the bus taking admission as we got more and more people on said bus. It's just about time to give this guy an opportunity because, man, he is killing it in the American Hockey League. We know what he brings to the table with his ability to win face-offs, a great 200-foot game, and a guy that's actually putting up quite a bit of offense right now in the American League. Um, but I personally would love to see he, him get a chance at some point soon. And, you know, if it's on a fourth-line roll, no problem. You get him out there and... Um, you know, Because at a certain point, you do need to try a few things differently, especially when it comes to the PK and they've tried a lot of things, and we're still talking about a team that's, what, 31st in the league, and that was a central plot twist when it came to coming out of Vancouver with a regulation loss on Friday night. Yeah, David Gustafson, we've been ta- it feels like we've been talking about him for a long time, Huss. He was picked uh, round two of the 2018 draft. He's only 21 years old, and he's off to a good start with the Moose this year, 13 points in 16 games. But I, I agree. I mean, chain they got to switch something up on this penalty kill. Is it personnel? Is it the system? They seem to be, um, I see people in chat always complaining, oh, they let the other team gain the zone too easily. Oh, they let, you know, the other team, they just sit back and let Hellbuck save everything. They let the other team, you know, just go bombs away, uh, either from the point or, or from wherever. And then we hear have here from Mitch, he says, not sure if you guys realize this, but the Moose are the number one PK in the AHL. Yeah, I know. So... I guess I guess it just it seems to make too much sense here to bring up Gus. Now he's uh, I know the team is very conscious of the handedness of shots. Um, you know Riley Nash currently on that fourth line who they did sign. He's a right shot and he's actually playing uh, some power play time right now. Gustafson he's a left shot. Do they want to add yet another 
left shot for taking away a right shot, or would it be? Um, I don't care. Kick? I don't I put it. Put a guy with the left shot in the lineup that's going to get it done on the PK. You give me an ambidextrous guys. You've got. I mean, well, whatever. And I think that's the thing about Riley Nash too. That is interesting. Us. He's like at one point it wasn't good enough to get in the lineup. Now he's good enough. I seems like by default because he's a right shot to be on the power play. Like why not give? Give Sven they did a not shot. sign Riley Nash to come in and be on the power play. In yeah. fact, they signed him to come in and be an effective penalty killer. And that has been one of the stories that we've been talking about. Part of the reason why I thought that we might be have a Gustafson sighting with the big club at this point was because earlier on, if you recall, after that real rough stretch to begin the season, Riley Nash was off the power play. And then for an extended period of time was in the press box as Maurice went with 11 forwards and seven defensemen hoping that Nate Beaulieu would be able to help the PK a little bit. Uh, we'll get to all of this with Jeff Hamilton coming up. The, uh, it would be nice in the next few weeks to be talking about an improved PK, because if that is the case, I think we're probably talking about a team that continues to battle for first place in the Central Division. You know, Remus mentioned the Central coming in, and uh, yeah, the Wild are still first place, one point up on the Jets going into tonight's action. But, of course, the Jets do have that game in hand. St. Louis, uh, also 17 games like the Jets. They're two points back. The Preds are 19 points in 17 games. And, Remo, don't look now, but the Avalanche, I think, have woken up a little bit. They've won four in a row. They're 7-2-1 in their last 10. They've got 17 points, but they've only played 14 games. So they've got some games to make up. They're trending very positively, and uh, I don't think it's going to be very long. Or if we're talking about the Jets battling for first place, the Wild might be in the mix, the Blues might be in the mix, but I certainly expect by about a week or a week and a half when some of these games get made up, the Colorado Avalanche will be knocking on that door for top spot in the Central as well. Yeah, and Colorado, actually, they've been out with been out uh, Nathan McKinnon uh, for a while now, but, I mean, they're so talented. I mean, their second line has really stepped up the last couple of weeks. Nazem Kadri has, he's having an awesome season. Uh, Borkovsky's been a good pickup for them, and Nakushkin, remember him? Uh, he's been pretty solid as well. So this, I mean, this Colorado team and, even on uh, on defense, uh, I know Bone Byram. He's you know he's got an injury, but uh, you know Gerard, uh, Macars, Norris, Caliber, Trophy. I mean this Colorado team's so so strong, and so you know they're you know had a bit of a, a rougher start than you thought, but it doesn't doesn't change what you think about them long term. So I am looking forward to that first uh, Jets Avs game because if there's anything you know we've seen the Jets play, you know their big rivals Minnesota. Uh, Edmonton, you know, they played a lot last year. I mean, these are emotional, hard-fought games. Uh, I'd say definitely watch out for Colorado, and we'll get another look at uh, Minnesota this week as well, too. Yeah, by the way, this is a weird week. Um, you know, the team's going to call, uh, Columbus. And, hey, before we even, you know, get to the Jess road trip, I mean, got to extend sympathies to the Line family. Um, you know, really, really sad news that uh, Patrick Line lost his father on the weekend, um, you know, I have a good friend that's very close with Patrick's mother, um, you know, who got the news, I believe, I guess, on Friday night. I mean, just absolutely stunned the entire family. Um, so, I mean, the, the Line A folks, a lot of people uh, got a chance to meet them, just wonderful people during Patrick's time here in Winnipeg. And that was a, uh, you know, some horrible, horrible news. So uh, I think on uh, everyone here in Winnipeg and certainly in the chat, whether you love the trade, not the trade, whatever, um, you know, to, uh, you know, to lose, um, you know, your father at such a young age, it's um, absolutely heartbreaking and um, certainly just sending our uh, sending our best thoughts uh, to uh, to the Line A family. 
Um, so yeah, the Jets do go to Columbus, and you know, really unfortunate that you know that game won't feature Patrick Laine uh, on Wednesday night. It'll be a return for Pierre Luc Dubois. I do know that Ken's going on the road trip. He's going to join us on. Uh, is he going to join Thursday. us on Thursday? Yeah, Thursday so after we... the game, so we'll be able to talk about you know everything that happened in you know in Columbus with the Dubois return and that with Ken on Thursday's program. We'll sort of set it up with Murata Tesh tomorrow on the show. But Remo coming out of coming out of the uh, of Columbus, then go to Minnesota on Friday, and then Calgary on Saturday. And you're gonna love this. I think it was Ted or somebody that just tweeted this out that I saw. The Jets are gonna play four road games in four different time zones. Oh my god! <laughs> you're From the right. west to the east to the central to the mountain. Oh, maybe no. maybe just this one. Maybe we'll we'll remove the moratorium on the ban of mentioning time zones how for many, this week because that is that is a little weird. Oh, how many times could that happen? Where is there a Pacific time zone game in there? I mean, oh yeah, I get, Vancouver. Van, they played Vancouver, so like in a, in a week, us they would have played five games in five different time zones. <laughs> You know how many time zones are in North America? Is it not five? Uh, no, well, they, it, yeah, they're not playing in five because play. you'd have oh, to yeah, get, sorry, you'd have to put a team in Atlantic yeah. Canada. Sorry, so that's sorry. not the case. But yes, from the Pacific, back home to the Central, yeah. out to the East, back to the Central on the road, and then to the Mountain. And one of those games is an afternoon game, and that really messes with your body clock, right? Well, and here, you know what? And put this out to the chat. We got to figure out what we're going to do with the show on Friday. Um, because we're certainly going to do a show, but I mean, it's like a two o'clock game. Like we would normally be on the air mm-hmm. through, you know, so I mean, we don't want to have a show going on while everyone's actually watching the jets. So we'll probably have to do something in the morning that day, uh, maybe a little bit earlier. We did do the 11 o'clock show last week. So we can yeah, certainly that actually probably worked, worked well, the 11 o'clock I would work well. Do- and we'll, yeah, and I think we'll try and do a bunch of content that's not um, that won't be dated as much at the end of the hockey game. I mean, we'll focus in a lot on the football and some of the other stories in and around the National Hockey League, so people can uh, get to it. And it's not all basically a Jets pregame show for a game that happened. But we will let you know as to how that's going to work later on this week when we figure it out. But I think you can probably tentatively plan for a morning start, whether it's 10 a.m., probably 11 o'clock. I think 11 just worked really well last week, Rima, when unfortunate circumstances uh, meant that we had to do it that way. Um, So we will let you know, but um, lots going on for the Jets this week in Columbus. And then Friday afternoon, the old Black Friday game against the Minnesota Wild, and then a late game probably on Hockey Net in Canada on Saturday against the Calgary Flames. And uh, by the way, we were talking about the Jets battling for first place in the Central right now, Remo. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's the Calgary Flames first place in the Pacific right now, 11-3-5 on the year. And they have absolutely torched the Eastern Conference right now. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think they might have been 9-0. They were 7-0 earlier on, and I know they just uh, got a couple more wins on the weekend. So, um, you know, Calgary's going to have a lot of divisional play and a lot of th- things happening in the West. But the way that they have played against the East, especially on the road so far this year, 9-2-2 two, and two away from the Saddle Dome, just an amazing start and really impressive when you consider the fact that they didn't change very much. I mean, they lost Mark Giordano, one of the, the biggest losses in the expansion draft of any team in the NHL. They added Blake Coleman, and that's about it. And yet the results are the complete opposite of what they had last year. And then you got to give Daryl Sutter a lot of credit for 
getting his team to play the way he believed gives them the best chance to win, and it's uh, showing right now in the standings. Yeah, Cal- I dumped all over uh, all over Calgary last year because they were such a disappointment, and even this year they really they didn't do- to be dunked on yeah. last year, and they didn't even do that much. I mean, they brought in Blake Coleman. I know they got um, Trevor Lewis as well, former Jet. Um, they brought in backup goalie Dan Vladar, who got a shutout. He's got two shutouts this year, but the Calgary goaltending has been amazing. I mean, both guys with the goals against average under two, save percentage over 940. Markstrom's got five shutouts, Vladar's got two. But as far as scoring goes, um, and we can talk about Team Canada because Braden Point got hurt, and I mean, he was a, pretty much a lock for Team Canada. But how about Andrew Mangiapane? He has 15 goals in 19 games. Unbelievable. And Johnny Gaudreau, uh, he's in a contract year, 22 points in 19 games. Um, their big guns are playing like their big guns, and everyone is talking about um, this Oscar uh, Shillington. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. Or is it? It's not. Yeah. You don't. You don't say Shillington, not Killington. Yeah, not Kylington or whatever. Yes, yeah. yeah, you can tell yeah, you've Sh- watched a few games. Yeah, so he's got Shillington. twelve. He's not even playing power play. Uh, power play one, and he's got twelve points in eighteen games. It's been great at five on five. So free Shillington, free yeah. Shillington. He was on waivers. On the power play. He was on waivers a couple years ago. He should be on the power play. Rasmus Anderson's not getting it done. So yeah, I agree. Free Shillington. Uh, okay, well, we will touch on the bombers uh, a little bit later on. As I mentioned, of course, we're here. Uh, along with our friends at CoolBet at the Tim Hortons Olympic Curling Trials. And uh, uh, just quickly on that, 2 o'clock this afternoon, Mike McEwen versus Jason Gumlickson, head-to-head matchup between the Manitoba teams. Just bumped into Reed Carruthers. Very excited for the start and the game. Um, we'll hopefully hook up with those guys a little bit later on this week on the program. Uh, but, of course, the McEwen team sponsored by Princess Auto, and we will have a special Princess Auto Curling Report with our good friend Ted Wyman, a little bit later on the show today. Uh, All right, before we get to the hammer, um, do want to thank our newest sponsor, Vita Health Fresh Market, for their support. Vita Health stocked with Winnipeg's best selection of organic, local, and natural groceries, supplements, and beauty prices, all at great prices, with an amazingly knowledgeable staff trained on these products. If you're into organic produce, local grass-fed meats, or a great grab-and-go deli with amazing Vita Market salads and sandwiches. This is the store for you. And, of course, like many of our sponsors, a great local company that's been here 85 years of empowering people to lead healthy lives since 1936. Seven locations in Winnipeg, including the newest store in Linden Ridge. And you can find out more of Vita Health Fresh Market at myvita. Dot C-A. Uh, the Manitoba Battery Boys are rolling right now. You knew that was going to happen once we get to winter. Still the best prices on automotive batteries in town, and they'll deliver it to you. Also got a great program promo for the rest of the month of November. Manitoba Battery thanking frontline healthcare workers by paying the taxes on any automotive battery for those that helped get through the challenges of COVID. And I know you people that have your sleds are champing at the bit to get out there now that the snow is here. Of course, Manitoba Batteries, batteries for everything. Uh, Whatever type of sled you have, Manitoba Battery will get you covered with. Most sled batteries can be found in the $65 to $75 range. ManitobaBattery.com, 1026 Logan, 204-783-8787. And a big shout-out to our friends at Royal Sports. We're two days away from the official launch and reveal of Team Canada's Olympic jerseys. We'll have those for you on Wednesday's program here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. 
and whether it's the Canada soccer gear that's been going so hot, Canada gear, Jets, Bombers, you name it, your favorite NFL team, nobody has a better selection of licensed merchandise than our friends at Royal Sports. And, of course, they're also the go-to spot for everything hockey for over 35 years. Another great local family-owned business. Shout out to the Hasbeaks and thank them for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. All right, let's get uh, back to it and welcome in Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press. Uh, I'm away. He is finally back in Winnipeg. Uh, quite the uh, quite the milk run you made there from east to west and now back to the peg. Yeah, not bad. I was sorry. I don't even know what your question is. I'm just I'm talk- intoxicated by the drapes behind you. But yeah, no, it was oh, yeah. a uh, it was a yeah, it was an exciting week. It was a jump from Montreal and. Bombers uh, playing the Alouettes in what was their first loss in a while, um, followed by a couple, you know, a pair of losses for the Winnipeg Jets in, in Edmonton and uh, and Vancouver. There was a bit of a, a jaunt to the nation's capital in between that for to see some family and friends. But um, yeah, not a lot of winning on that trip, but uh, not all lost, I would say, either in, in either the Jets or uh, obviously, you know, Winnipeg's visit through through Montreal. Man, but I got to tell you, week, you saw a. Uh, I mean, we'll get to Friday night against the Canucks in a minute. Um, mm. I, I still can't get over. I we watched the Thursday night game against the Oilers twice after it happened to the next day. I mean, that was for a game to be zero zero fifty minutes in with that much entertainment and excitement. Spoke to just how good Stu Skinner was, as well as Connor Hellebuck. And uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it could look any better than it did on TV. But um, the McDavid show coming up when the Oilers needed to get it into OT. Um, I mean, that's just, it's hard to even come up with words anymore about what this guy's able to do. But credit to the Jets for getting three out of a big three out of four points in that series with Edmonton. And uh, I think probably left that game, especially considering the huge opportunity they had on the power play, thinking that they may be left or on the table because they certainly played well enough to win. Well, and I think that was the the big takeaway for me after the game. I'll tell you what. I mean, I don't know who, how many people watched Paul Maurice's post game, um, you know, availability, but he was buzzing. I mean, he was, you know, super excited about the game and and um, you know didn't really show a lot of disappointment over the loss. Um, a word he's been using quite often this season is casual, and so he didn't see any casual play um, by his team, and that certainly was the case. I mean, you could argue a little bit of casualness on that uh, inside-outside move on Logan Stanley that um, Connor McDavid played, but that's just an you know an exceptional player um, taking over a, you know a game and in a moment and and turning on its head a little bit, and we've seen that from Connor McDavid this year. I, I you know I really enjoyed the game as far it looked like a playoff game, and and you know it. it it looked like a game against an Edmonton team that was at their best. Um, you know, two days before, obviously the Winnipeg Jets dominated in a 5-2 win. Um, those two goals from the Oilers obviously coming in the third period, kind of when the game was already, you know, out of reach. I felt like a lot of people were excited about that for good reason, just given where Edmonton is in the standings and power rankings and whatnot. But it was also a team that was at the end of a, you know, I think it was a five-game road trip in eight days. And, and you know, you could tell they were gassed. I mean, we've seen from the Jets this season, and you know, with with a you know a lesser, less travel road trip, come out kind of flat in the final game. So I thought this was more indicative of the two teams. The Jets obviously starting the road trip, Edmonton back at home, having a day off before, um, and you saw a lot better Oilers team. But you know that just spoke to the Jets' play. I felt like they dictated a lot about it. Yes, Connor Hellebuck was was very good again. Stuart, Stuart Skinner, as you mentioned, was terrific at the other end of the net. It was a, a real goalie's 
battle until that, you know, kind of final stages here. And then, you know, we saw McDavid take over. Of course, when you look at that penalty, I mean, that's got to be an opportunity for the Winnipeg Jets to win. I don't know how you're not disappointed off that, but, um, you know, all, all, all said, all things considered, uh, you know, a pretty decent game between two teams that, you know, we're not going to, we might've seen the last of them. I think that might be the last game between them this season. Maybe one more no, January so, but, 16th, okay, January 16th, 16th, one here. more, you know, but I think you're, I think you're going to have to get used to the low scoring games against Edmonton. Now I don't think we're going to be seeing a lot of the track meets because the jets have a blueprint for them. Same as they have for, you know, other teams that are tight checkers and, you know, high scoring teams. So um, we got one more game to watch of them, but yeah, certainly a good, uh, a good showing by the Jets through two games against seven. Well, you know, and the reason why I wanted to just start off mentioning that game, first of all, it was so great, deserved mention again um, in our conversation, but with all of that, you know, you know, highly anticipated games, the history of what happened in the playoffs before coming in, playing the way they did. You mentioned how Maurice was buzzing. The next day, you go out to Vancouver, playing the second end of a back-to-back. I mean, you certainly there was a major potential for a letdown game. And, you I mean, you were in the building, so you tell me. From my perspective, there was no letdown at all. Oh, however, they did get let down again by their penalty kill, which was the central topic coming out of the game as the reason why they, um, you know, well, got zero points to show for it. And uh, one of those regulation losses that are the one thing that really costs you in today's NHL. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and, and speaking of Maurice, I mean, you know, in, in all his kind of excitement post game against Edmonton, he did end that availability by, by saying that he felt of the three games, um, including the first game and, uh, you know, against Edmonton at, at home, um, that this one, that the, the Vancouver Canucks game was going to be the toughest for that exact reason. You know, he didn't, he didn't bring up the words let down, um, but, you know, he did recognize the emotional and physical toll that his team had taken over the last two games, and particularly that game on Thursday night, not just in the sense of the fact that it went to overtime and then a shootout, um, but just, you know, just the style in which the game was played. It was heavy. It was a heavy, heavy game. And so, you know, all those things considered when you travel and getting into Vancouver early in the morning, the, the time change, all those things. I mean, things that come across a bit as excuses for sure. Um, but, you know, there, there's certainly factors. And, and you know, I, I didn't think that they – I thought the Jets weren't slow. You know, we've seen them come out kind of slow in games where they played back-to-back. I think that that speed was not all there, but I felt it was more of a, of a sloppiness. It just didn't seem execution-wise, whether it was, you know, in the whatever end, particularly the neutral zone, I found a lot of, lot of you know, give-ups, a lot of giveaways, a lot, of, a lot more ice to be played with in the neutral zone than, than against Edmonton. So you could kind of tell it, it kind of played on them. And then, yeah, of course, the penalty kill. I mean, um, you know, some of those some of those goals were, you know, especially when you consider Vancouver's, you know, not exactly, you know, world beaters, um, but they were able to get the puck, you know, the puck on the net in traffic. And, you know, what what was a better penalty killing unit over the last few weeks is had kind of just came kind of crashing down and was ultimately the, the, the decider in that game, despite the Jets really, really pushing there in the final minutes. Um, and was about, a, you know, probably 30 seconds away from tying that game. They just ran out of clock by the end of it. So, yeah, certainly a disappointing disappointing end to the trip, uh, especially when you consider the standings and how close they are. I think it's six points separates, you know, the fifth team in Colorado, who's got a handful of games on the top team in, in, in mini right now. Um, so, you know, those those. You know, whether it's one point loss in a shootout or, or, or losing two points in a regular season win, the uh, the reality is the 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 results are going to factor in pretty crazy right now in, in the central division as those teams are all bunched up near the top. 
Yeah, exactly. And all that being said, I mean, the Jets still have a game in hand. That game will be played tonight. And if they win, they'll be back in first place uh, ahead of the Minnesota Wild. But as we talked about before we brought you on, I don't look now, but uh, here come the Avalanche. They're 7-2-1 and one in their last 10 games. They've only played 14 games, so that's why they're you know sitting down at 17 points. But certainly the opportunity for the Avalanche. I expect that we will be seeing plenty of Colorado in and around that mix of the teams challenging for the Central Division title going forward. Um. Hammer, uh, of course, I mean, a huge topic amongst Jet fans and, and media last week was the uh, the shakeup coming out of the game against uh, the Los Angeles Kings the previous Saturday. I mean, the lines were different in every period of that game, and it was the most unlikely hero, Dylan DeMello, scoring a shorthanded goal as first as a Jet to get them into OT. And then we saw that chemistry between Nikolai Ehlers and Mark Shifley give the Jets a point to get the extra one and, uh, and win 2-1. to one. Going into Edmonton, they stayed with the way the lines were at the end of the third period, which included Blake Wheeler moving to uh, Connor and Svechnikov. And that sparked a ton of debate. I mean, you know, we don't really need to go back down that road. But I mean, I, I frankly, I sort of agreed with Paul Maurice. I don't think that you were going to be hurting that line by moving Wheeler and Svechnikov. I mean, to be honest, this has been Connor and Dubois rolling together. And, you know, I think who's ever been playing with those guys has been the beneficiary of um, playing with two guys that are developing some incredible chemistry and are playing at a really high level. All that being said, um, I really like the way that line looked through the Edmonton game. Um, It did seem like the captain maybe had a little less gas in the tank on Friday. And of course, speaking of the penalty kill, I mean, a careless undisciplined penalty by the guy with the C on the chest, um, you know, certainly lit a lot of torches in chat rooms around Winnipeg after that game. Um, specifically, what did you think of Wheeler uh, and that line on Friday night? And um, were you surprised maybe that, you know, Maurice did not go back to uh, the switch with Wheeler playing with Lowry and Svechnikov up with Dubois and Connor, considering the way things went on Friday night? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I don't I don't know where I fall in in the argument of whether he should be up at the top line or if he should be, you know, playing with, you know, Adam Lowry. I think Paul Stastny factors into this one a big big time, Absolutely. you know. So I think when you're looking at more balanced lines and and what we know about Paul Stastny, he's obviously not back in the lineup tonight. He was skating again this morning. Um Paul Maurice used the word good um, as far as, you know, that word was tossed out with, you know, with his, with his progress. So that's obviously a positive. How good? I guess we'll wait and see. Um, I'm assuming he's back sooner than later, maybe even on this next road trip. Uh, but, I, you know, it, it's an interesting conversation because when they moved him there, I, I'll, be, I'll admit I was kind of, you know, not really understanding why you would break up. You know, because as you mentioned, Huss, I mean, it's Dubois and Connor who kind of have that chemistry. We've seen chemistry between Dubois and Wheeler in the past. Um, maybe that was the reasoning. I think it was, I thought maybe early on it was based on because Svechnikov hadn't played a lot of time with Connor McDavid and therefore maybe there'd be a little bit of, a, you know, insurance with, with Wheeler on that line and maybe you'd see it for two games. Of course, we saw we saw that, that lineup roll um, into Friday's game against Vancouver, and it will be the same lineup tonight against Pittsburgh. So, uh, you know, I did ask Paul Maurice the question over the, the you know over the road trip about you know his willingness to stick with that line and, and not break because you know when I looked at that line, Huss, you know what I immediately thought? Hey, that's Shifley's line, and you know <laughs> Shifley's on number two, and I'm wondering, you know, whether it's one or two, you, you know, we can debate that, whatever. Um, I'm wondering, you know, what Mark Shifley's thinking playing with Nikolai Ehlers and Andrew Kopp. Now, you'd think he'd be fine with it, 
but you know he's you know had a lot of success with you know with um with uh Kyle Connor and Blake Wheeler as his as his I'm simply I'm loving where I'm at right oh, now. Oh absolutely should but I'm and, and so more from a you know more from a line blender situation I asked Paul Maurice because of the chemistry with Dubois and Connor like you know we didn't see a big leash for Pierre-Luc Dubois last year. We saw a lot of opportunity. I mean, he was shuffled in and out of, you know, different lineups, trying to find out where he'd, he'd fit. But we haven't really seen him get the opportunity to stick with the team. And so when you looked at kind of Paul Maurice's penchant to go to that lineup of, um, you know, to, to that lineup to have, you know, uh, Shifley with with Connor and Wheeler, how how big of an appetite he would in the event to go back to that line to just make that switch. And I thought his comments were were were, were pretty interesting in that he's going to give Dubois and Kyle Connor a long leash together. So we're not going to see a breakup in that line um, at least so long as things don't last for weeks. If they have a couple, you know, one or two bad games, you know, Pierre Luc Dubois is going to be afforded that leash because of his play and keep Kyle Connor on his lineup. Now, wh- whether he sticks with Blake Wheeler, again, I go back to the whole, well, what happens when when Paul Stastny comes back into play? Because that line with Paul Stastny and Blake Wheeler, you know, and Adam Lowry, I think looks a bit better on Blake Wheeler's, in Blake Wheeler's eyes, than playing on a third line with, say, you know, Jansen Harkins or whatever. And I'm, I'm putting words in Blake's mouth here now. There's no, we have no idea where his head's at, but we've just seen over and over again, you know, Paul Maurice's efforts to get, Blake Wheeler going and this seems to me with all what everything he's dealt with with COVID and you know and and dealing with you know um, not really necessarily feeling like himself well I don't know if he's going to feel like himself playing on a checking line so that's kind of what I thought would lead to it again we'll see what happens you know I've written stories where this is a new line and and 24 hours later you know it's a completely different lineup so that's kind of been the situation I've kind of pegged this line that I feel like Maurice is is trying to play chess a lot more than checkers where you know he's you know whether it's the 11 and 7 or swapping things up um it's just so how long is you know it's just wondering how long is he going to do that and and again i do think there's a big a big uh factor in in paul stastny and getting those three even lines if you will um when when stastny gets back in the lineup that's when i'd really start be asking the questions like do you you know do you not want to have a guy like sveshnikov who's shown chemistry with that top line be back up with that group and then have a player like Blake Wheeler, maybe able to monitor his minutes more and get the most out of him on a line with say Paul Stastny and Adam Lowry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I don't want this to come across as saying like, you know, Svechnikov was just a passenger and, you know, anyone in that spot would have been, you know, you know, Dubois and Connor were playing so well together. I mean, I'm sure if Harkins had the opportunity, if Vesselin was there, they probably would have significantly better numbers. I mean, Svechnikov had, what was it, a goal and five assists in 13 games playing with those guys? And again, the thing about it is, Jeff, it is, I mean, he's such a unique player in that he's found money. I mean, he's a guy that was a cast off by the Detroit Red Wings, came in on a tryout contract, didn't even have a contract on the first day of the regular season, and then essentially fit in quite well on a line that was having, you know, a lot of success. Um, but I do think it's important for Svechnikov to show that, you know, he's able to, and, and frankly, I thought he was really good on, on um, against the Vancouver Canucks, mm-hmm. like one of the Jets' best forwards, um, and maybe his best game playing alongside Adam Lowry in that sort of new role that we've seen for the last little while. Um, but, I mean, to me, when we talk about these lines, I mean, I, envision, I think of Connor and Dubois as, you know, the cornerstones of one line, and Ehlers 
and Shifley together. And I think those pairings are going to be set for a pretty good time going forward. And it's a matter of figuring out who works best. And I'll tell you what, with the way Andrew Kopp's played so far this season, he sure as heck isn't going off one of those two lines. So there is sort of one spot and who fits best in it and how we go forward will be interesting to see. Um, But you do make a great point about the impending return of Paul Stastny and what that would do potentially to a third line. Um, Because the bottom line is there's a lot of players that I think would love the opportunity to get a few shifts with 80 and 81 because those guys have been that damn good this season, really, from the moment that they got put together. Yeah, but I mean, absolutely. I mean, I don't really... I think that argument that anyone could, you know, produce points or or do what we saw Svechikov do with, with Connor and, and Dubois is kind of crap. I mean, you notice... I mean, there are so many examples out there of, you know, having two star players and then having a third complementary player that if you can get that player who obviously isn't in the same necessarily tier as the other two players to be able to play with them, to have that chemistry, to chip in. I mean, we all saw Svechnikov play. I mean, he wasn't just getting secondary assists. It wasn't like he was passing the puck to Pierre-Luc Dubois, you know, in, in, in his own end and then letting him in. Kyle Connor do the magic. I mean, he was a key part of a lot of those goals. A lot of those goals were, and if they were secondary assists, it was because Svechnikov, you know, knew where Dubois was in, in a nifty drop pass or was able to deliver, you know, a pass, you know, in, in tight to Dubois and then a rebound goal by Connor. There's a number of those examples. This guy was not a, not a passenger and, and, you know, whether he's found money or whatever, he's a guy that if, you know, if you can put him up there with that group, you can put a guy like Blake Wheeler who, you know, who has some, you know, still some, some something left in the tank to offer to a different line. And I think that's what, if you're the Winnipeg Jets, that's what you have to do because what we've seen from this team is when they load up those top two lines and identify that third line with Adam Lowry, which in years past was a completely different role. Yes, they were asked to score, you know, when they could, but they were really, really a checking line. Now that line has changed. It, it, it's no longer viewed as this line that you'd put out necessarily against the top line, unless you have a Blake Wheeler on there who has already had that experience, right? That, that, that checking line with Paul Stastny is not going to exist anymore. There isn't that, that same energy that comes. It's a different lineup. And what we've seen in the past is when they load up the top two lines, very rarely are both lines going. So, you know, if you can create this, you know, top nine, if you will, then you can start playing like, well, who's buzzing? Who's who's really playing? Because there's going to be games, you know, hypothetically, if you have Paul Stastny and Blake Wheeler in between um, Adam Lowry, there's going to be games where they have really good nights. And so you have a better chance of kind of striking lightning with two lines um, when you have three even ones than you would if you have two. It's just just what we've seen in the past. It's usually one line. But would we all it. agree that like once they made that change, and <clears throat> I mean, people sort of forget that game against L.A. I mean, <clears throat> it was different in the first period. It was different in the second period. And it was different again in the third period because they were really being stymied. And it sort of reminded us of all the Saturday game of the week before, or a couple of weeks earlier against the New York Islanders. Mm-hmm. And you know, you talk about having two lines going. I mean, I'll say this, and I mean, I'm here for the argument that, you know, maybe it does make more sense to have Wheeler on the third line, and Svechnikov certainly did not play him out of that line at the top. But when they did make that move coming out of the L.A. game going into the Edmonton series, I mean, I think both of those lines were top marks for the full six periods of the Edmonton series, and then maybe there was a little bit more of a drop-off, in particularly the captain's play highlighted by that terrible penalty that he took that led to a goal against 
on Friday against Vancouver. And I think that's what inflamed this whole conversation again. Because from my opinion, Jeff, it's pretty hard to look at the moves coming out of the L.A. game into those two games against Edmonton and say that, you know, they didn't work and they didn't give the Jets a good chance to win both of those hockey games. Sure. I mean, but I, I don't know if you saw enough to suggest that that they that it wouldn't have worked had they kept the lineup the way it was. I mean, with with Svechikov up there, and I guess you don't really know the answer to that question until you until you see it. I well, mean, that's why I bring up the LA game because I mean, there, there was I mean, he didn't just like decide. Oh, you know what? I feel like mixing up all the lines today. I mean, there was I mean a real struggle. I mean, they had a hell of a time. They went for about thirty five minutes in that hockey game with getting like five shots on goal. Get five hmm. shots in the first five minutes of the game and had 11 at the end of the second period. So, I mean, those are the times where coaches do change things up. I mean, anyone who watched that game knew that, you know, maybe this was a time to uh, trinkle with it a little bit. That's exactly what happened. And I think we got those results against Edmonton, but you know, he said it himself coming out of that game. You know what? We're going to see how it looks. And if it doesn't, you know, we'll know very quickly and we'll make that change. And that wasn't the case in the Edmonton game. I guess the point is, though, when you saw the Vancouver game, knowing what is possible, um, I thought that maybe they would consider that change as well. But I think to your point, if that does happen, I think the most likely time to do that is when Paul Stastny comes back in, which is going to you know, create some sort of a change amongst the lines no matter what. I, yeah, and, and, and that's a big thing. to And I'm not advocating necessarily taking Blake Wheeler off that top line. It's just, you know, in the long run, I think you're going to have to spread the wealth a little bit. And I think there's a bit, if you look at, you know, as you mentioned, Huss, I, I, you know, I think that's exactly how Paul Maurice thinks as he works in twos. You're going to have Dubois and Connor. You're going to have Shifley and Ehlers. Why not have a Stastny and Wheeler? You know what I mean? And so obviously them be both being wingers. I mean, Sassy can play center, but I, I like that line with Lowry. I think it's I think it's got an it's got a bit of an identity more so than say a Sveshnikov, Lowry, and Harkins line. Um, you know, it just maybe adds a little bit more confidence to that line and more importantly, a scoring touch. So if you're if you don't have your top two lines going, maybe there's an opportunity to to, to put that line out, that Adam Lowry, you know, Stastny and, and Wheeler line against lesser competition. And so these are just things I think are fun to debate. Obviously, there's going to be a process in all this. Maybe you need to handle it game by game. Maybe you need to manage Blake Wheeler's minutes more. As you mentioned, you identify, okay, this thing worked against Edmonton. Those were two pretty heavy games, particularly the game Thursday night. Maybe you switch things up, add a little bit, you know, of a twist to um, the following night. Maybe Blake Wheeler takes a little bit of a back you know, a backseat role than one against the highlighted Edmonton team, right? I mean, Vancouver was really going into that game. They lost six games in a row or five games in a row. They're talking about replacing their coach, all these things. I mean, you knew that team was going to come out with, you know, was going to come out and punch you in the mouth if they didn't just completely fall off the map. So they did. They came out. They played well off the bat. Maybe there's some movement there. That's the in-coaching that we, you know, you that we've seen a lot from Paul Maurice. It, you know, but we've also seen him see a t- you know we saw in uh, San Jose weeks ago where they you know they decided nothing was going and they just threw their best three players on the top line and Kyle Connor scores and forces it to overtime the reality in hockey is it's so fluid there's so many things that factor into it that you're not necessarily going to have an ideal lineup for 82 games it's just what we're seeing with this club so far is we're seeing a whole bunch of lineups that we can debate and talk about because we've seen so many different looks and at times they've worked and at times they haven't. But the reality is it's not always going to be the lineup that dictates the success. It's going to be opponent, other factors, travel, all these things. It's about finding those right connections when you do get to 
you know, when you do get to a game that you like playing, and I know Paul Maurice loved those two games against Edmonton, so he's going to be bookmarking that lineup for, for key games. It's just when you when you look at spreading the wealth and getting the most out of your roster, if you can have a guy, whether he's found money or whatever he is in Svechnikov, if you can play with the top line and they can produce as we saw them produce, it opens up a lot more opportunity down the lineup. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I guess just finishing this off and translating to the issue, I mean, Wheeler, we've talked about this before. There was a lot of people that seemed to, um, for whatever reason, you know, really, um, they almost take it uh, an affront that, you know, he's, you know, he's a guy, he's done so much for this organization that the people think they're doing it because, you know, they owe it to him or something like that. And I don't believe that that's the way Paul Maurice works. But I'll say this, um, he didn't do himself any favors in the court of public opinion with that penalty against Vancouver. And uh, tell you what, I mean, when you make a play like that, that results in a goal against, um, you know, it magnifies all of it. And it certainly gives a lot of ammunition to people that didn't like the decision in the first place. Um, but saying all that, Jeff, the PK, um, you know, this team is flirting with first place. You wonder just how good would this team be if they had even competent penalty killing, like middle of the road penalty killing. And to be honest, it would probably take a good stretch of about 20 games killing penalties to get to that middle of the road because of the issues that they've had in the first 17, 18 games of the season. Well, isn't that the truth? And I mean, you know, it was interesting to, to talk to Adam Lowry and Paul Maurice post-game Vancouver. Obviously, you know, the guy who decides who's on the power play and Adam Lowry, who's a, you know, a go-to piece on that unit. So, you know, it was, it was interesting to hear them talk afterwards. They're not super defensive, but defensive nonetheless, um, looking at their numbers. And, you know, yes, when you take a full sample size, there's no denying the Winnipeg Jets have been brutal on the penalty kill. I mean, they're what, second last place, clicking at just over 60-something percent. If you look at it, I think it's 64, just under 64% that they've been killing off. I mean, those are bad numbers, you know? And so you can certainly ask the questions of where would this team be if they had a penalty killing unit that was even, you know, league average, not, not in the basement. And the answer is probably a few more wins in the bank, as we saw with, you know, Vancouver and some other games in the past where the penalty killing has just, you know, been there, you know, been their collapse. I don't really know how to explain it. I mean, it's a lot of the same personnel, the defense you can argue are better, than last season. I certainly can argue that, that they're better than last season. I don't season. think there's so an they, argument against so have, <laughs> No, that's what I mean. So that, that, you know, that's, you know, like it's, so they should be better defensive wise. You know, their goalie's still their goalie. Um, it's just, you know, is it bad puck luck? I look at these, you know, the thing about special teams and particularly, you know, obviously when your power play is buzzing, you're feeling, you know, the top of the world, you go out there as a confident unit, you whip around the puck and, and it seems like all things are going for you. And when your power play is not, you know, it can be a real crutch against your team. Same story with penalty killing. I mean, a lot of those guys take, you know, certainly take a lot of the, you know, the Andrew Cops, the Adam Lowry's, the guys who log a ton of time on that unit, take that very seriously. And, and it works the same way as a, as a buzzing power play. When you're killing off penalties, you go out there and you, you have all these confidence and you, and you know, you're, you're playing a bit freer when things aren't going for you, you know, you're, you're kind of squeezing your stick or your heart takes an extra beat every time there's a shot on net. Um, and unfortunately against Vancouver, it's some of those games where, you know, credit to the Canucks and getting traffic in front, but those are kind of the goals where, you know, they get through a bunch of bodies untouched. I don't think either of them were tipped. Um, it's just, a, it's just, you know, you look back and you go, here we go again. And then after the game, when you're making these, you know, when you're defending it, you're looking at, you know, Paul Maurice, um, and he's not wrong exactly, but you know, they were really, really bad to start the season and leading up to these, 
past three games had had gone pretty well. I think they they only allowed like one goal in their their, their in a in a five game stretch um, against on the penalty kill, and then you get the two that happened in the Edmonton game. And I'm not brushing those away because you should be killing those penalties off, regardless of you know how much you're up on the scoreboard. Um, but you add those two in, and then take another two against Vancouver um, in the same game that you don't draw a penalty. Uh, it's just, you know, it becomes a little bit, you know, the numbers become a little bit worse than they or, or go back to kind of where they were. And again, that's not a defense, um, you know, of this team. This is certainly an area that needs to get cleaned up. But, you know, the good news is, is the number can stay the way it, it is. It's going to take a long time to, you know, boost it up when it comes to league averages. But you're going to start, you got to start putting together, you know, more, you know, a longer stretch of games where this becomes a strength of your team rather than, you know, an incredible weakness. And, you know, you have the players, you know, you, you have the guys that have done this for this team for years. You have the defense, you have the goaltending. It's now figuring out why this isn't working and, and uh, you know, finding a way to get a lot more consistent. And once they do that, I mean, you're going to see the difference, you know, trickle into the into the standings, because as I mentioned, you've seen some games that have fallen off because of this group. No doubt about it. Jeff Hamilton, the Winnipeg Free Press with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily, getting ready for the Jets and the Pittsburgh Penguins tonight. I was just telling Remus, uh, you know, as uh, fun as it is being out here and checking out all the curling, the one thing that I did regret was not getting a chance to be at the building tonight to see the Pittsburgh Penguins, Sidney Crosby coming in. This is an interesting team, Jeff, and that they're finally getting somewhat healthy. They're still missing Evgeny Malkin, but... You know, with all those top guys out early in the season, it gave, it gave them a real opportunity for a number of players to sort of prove to the coaching staff that they were, you know, maybe worthy of better spots in the lineup. And now you add those players back in, you get Sidney Crosby going, Chris Latang, Christian Jerry playing well in net. And um, it makes for a really interesting matchup and another great test for the Winnipeg Jets. We've talked a lot about these games in the West within the division, um, but it's always cool when uh, you get the chance to go up against a player like Sidney Crosby. And uh, I'm sure both Mark Scheifele and Pierre-Luc Dubois will be looking forward to uh, any chance they get to go up against 87. Yeah, certainly. I mean, he, you know, as much as we talk about Connor McDavid and, you know, obviously all, you know, younger players coming into their own, you, you always got to remember that Sidney Crosby's still getting it done. And to consider him old is kind of funny, but he is, right? I mean, he is getting older in his career. He's certainly in the back nine. Um, but he's always, you know, Pittsburgh's just a well-run team, you know, and, and they haven't been good this year. They've dealt with injuries. They've dealt with, you know, issues, you know, on and off the ice. But they've seemed to be finding their game right now. So I think it's 8 nothing the last two games. They had a great game against um, Toronto. They absolutely, you know, beat up uh, Montreal before that 6 nothing, And so to come in here to complete the Canadian hat trick um, is certainly their goal. It, it, you know, it is interesting, too, that I don't know how many games. What is it, one? Was it the New York Islanders that, they, that the Jets have played against the East this season? So far, there's not a lot of teams that they've played against the East so far. So this is going to be, and certainly the, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins they haven't seen in quite some time. So it's going to be a test. But I think these games are play well or at least play better into the Jets' hands in that, you know, the East are usually slower games. They're usually, um, you know, less physical. Uh, I think that allows – that doesn't necessarily mean the Jets play less physical. I just think they can expect a bit less um, of that back. And so it's, you know, I think this is an opportunity for them to, you know, to, to dictate the game as, as teams like to say, you know, if we're playing our game, we're not playing their game. And um, but certainly there's just, you know, there's a certain respect you have for Pittsburgh and their systems and, and whatnot. But if you look at their special teams, I mean, let's just, let's just say, you know, they're, they're tough to, you know, they're having 
the opposite problems um, in, in a way that they're the top, the top penalty killing team um, and the worst power play. So if you look at, you know, if you, or if you look at, if you look at how they're, how they're playing, they got the best penalty kill out there and Figure then they're halfway down the lowest, you know, 30 seconds in 30 seconds. So it's like, you know, it's not, it's not just the Winnipeg jets that are dealing with, you know, the, these, these polarizing performances, um, you know, in, in special teams. So, you know, they're, they're obviously going to want to work on, on, on their situation. And adding Sidney Crosby to the mix is certainly going to help your power play. Um, getting of getting Malkin back is going to help that too eventually. But yeah, I mean, it's a team that I think is ripe for the picking. This is an opportunity for Jets to take advantage of a club who's on the end of a three-game road trip. We've seen the way the Jets have performed at the end of three-game road trips. Um, so, you know, I think they're ripe for the picking and certainly uh, a special night, a special game tonight too. It's um, Cancer Awareness Night. It's, I know it's Cancer Awareness Month for the NHL, but, you know, there's going to be a lot of emotion hanging into this game for the Jets, particularly around Josh Morrissey and, you know, his father passing away from cancer this past year. So lots to play for, lots leading up to, to puck drop. And I think you're going to see, a you know, a spirited effort from the Winnipeg Jets against a, a good Penguins team. Yeah, Penguins with those wins now above 500, 7, 6, and 4 on the season. Excuse me, 18 points. And, of course, the Jets 9, 4, and 4 for 22. And uh, uh, 7.30 start tonight. Um, that's uh, a bit unusual, but uh, just heads up to anybody that's heading to the game this evening. Hammer, great chat as always. Uh, what do you got cooking this week? Are you going to be uh, Jets beat or uh, doing some CFL heading into the playoffs? Uh, big, big weekend for everyone not named Argonauts or Bombers in the league. Yeah, so yeah, just going back to splitting, splitting Jets and, and Bombers. Going to have my weekly CFL column out today, uh, covering the game tonight, uh, Jets tomorrow, and then probably shifting a little bit to uh, football at the end of the week. The Bombers will be back, uh, back practicing by the end of the week. I think they're going to have a few days off here, three or four days off. Um, and then practicing over the weekend and obviously getting ready for that. They got a preview coming out next Saturday or this Saturday, um, just out, just kind of taking a deeper dive into, into the two uh, division semifinals or sorry, division finals with the bombers. I'm not going to be doing the semifinals preview, but the final previews um, and then getting ready for, you know, hopefully a, a great cup that involves the chance for the Winnipeg blue bombers to repeat. So busy times, not going to be able to take my breaks or vacation till after Grey Cup week, but uh, certainly can't complain with with all the action and excitement that's. Been hey, before we go, months. you got to lean in that West Semi between the Riders and Stamps. I mean, man, they played tight games against each other through the entire regular season. Saskatchewan has home field. Calgary certainly had a much better second half of the season than they did start the year. I mean, I'm fascinated by this game. Uh, where are you at on it right now? You know, I haven't seen the line. Is there? I don't think there's a line out yet. I think that'll probably come out tomorrow. It'll be interesting to see who the favorite is. I, here's the thing. I mean, I, I would probably go with the team that's getting points because I think this one isn't going to be a blowout either way. I mean, you know, it's going to be a tough game for Calgary in, the, in that they have to play and will surely be, you know, a, a rowdy mosaic stadium for, you know, backing the, backing the Rough Riders. But what we've seen from the Rough Riders this year, I mean, we still don't know, you know, 17 games or 14 games rather, sorry, into the regular season, 
who they are. We, we, you know, I mean, beyond they were talking about making their kicker, their MVP. So, you know, this is, you know, this is a team. I think the Bombers want to play Saskatchewan. I think if they could make their pick just because we've seen Calgary kind of come to life a little bit more, notwithstanding that last regular season game, which was just garbage to watch. Um, luckily I just listened, but if I was to put, uh, put, um, you know, sprinkle anything on anyone, I would be probably leaning more towards the team who are getting the points, not the ones that are, uh, you know, that are uh, that need to cover the spread. So, well, you know what? I just uh, I was just looking up at uh, Coolbet, and the lines, in fact, are up. Hamilton's okay. a four and a half point favorite against the Montreal Alouettes. Not surprised at that number. And uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, a very slight favorite, minus two and a half at home against Calgary. Essentially, there you go. There's your home field advantage. And uh, yeah, exactly. See, see what happens. That's going to be well. Who did who last one? Who is a bigger challenge for the Bombers? I mean, if you're just a Bomber fan, what's the best scenario for it? Is it Calgary? Because here's an interesting thing, and I know you retweeted this on the weekend, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, I was Calgary's, about to get into it. Yeah, Calgary's got some guys, and I don't know who they are, but Dave Dickinson was pretty clear saying, uh, yeah, we won't have the full complement of guys going to it, um, which is just unbelievable to think you'd play this whole season, have a game to go to the Grey Cup, and... Uh, the guys on your team that didn't get with the program, not going to be in the lineup. Well, and and so that all factors into my answer here. I honestly think it feels like a bit of a win-win for the Bombers. Now, there's no guarantee out of the final, obviously, but you know, if you look at who's the more dangerous team, I think Calgary is the more dangerous team. Um, you know, they needed something. They needed a good chunk of the first half of their season to figure out their game, figure out their personnel, figure out what was going to work best. Obviously, had some issues at quarterback. They now have a healthy Bo Levi Mitchell. They've added a guy like Reggie Bagleton. You know, so I think. You know, you look at you look at the rosters, and you're kind of leaning more towards, you know, the Bombers wanting to play Calgary, um, or sorry, wanting to play Saskatchewan. But the reality is, is to that exact point you just made, Huss. If they get through, I've been hearing, and I'm not a guy who's naming players who may or may not be vaccinated. That's not my job. But we're going to be getting to a point where we're going to have to identify them. But I'll tell you what I can tell you and the viewers is that there are some notable names being rumored in that group. And for Dave Dickinson to say this will not be a full group, it'll be fascinating that if the Calgary Stampeders do get past the Rough Riders um, in, in, in the West Semi and, and are here in Winnipeg on December 5th, who exactly they're leaving behind. So, you know, if, if you're the Bombers and, and you want to play Saskatchewan, okay, you know, they haven't been that great this year. They've dealt with injuries. They haven't been nearly as consistent. You, know, you feel like you can beat them. That's one thing. If you're worried about Calgary, well, you're going to get a watered-down version of them. Um, just how watered down we'll see. But again, there's been some names floating out there um, that would definitely have an impact in those games. So if you're Winnipeg, you're kind of looking at it as, okay, I mean, again, win-wins, maybe bad usage of words because there's no guarantee, but um, I just think everything's set up for Winnipeg, who's healthy. You know, they're going to get, you know, most likely going to get Andrew Harris back for that game. That's kind of been eyeballing that game. I just can't envision him not playing uh, you're going to have a, a Zach Caleros who got his touches in that final game. I mean, you're going to have a defense that has been suffocating all season. I just, you know, it, without jinxing it, I, I won't go as far for the viewers that worry about those things. But let's just say the, the Bombers look like they're in, in pretty good position uh, heading into that December 5th home game. Hammer, enjoy this game tonight. Uh, thanks as always. And uh, we'll catch up next week. 
Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on and shout out to the comments, good or bad. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been able to see the comments today uh, on the on the road. I'm sure there was I'm sure there was plenty during our uh, during our conversation at Jeff K. Hamilton on Twitter and of course in the pages of the Winnipeg Free Press. Um man, I think I've got a water delivery outside. I certainly hope it's Culligan. Told Cool Bet Chris to uh, get me a little Diet Pepsi delivery and some H2O. And uh, when it comes to uh, water services in Manitoba, 65 years and counting, the family-owned Culligan Water taking care and hydrating Manitobans. Uh, They've got it all. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, and whole home systems and drinking water systems, not to mention citywide water delivery services as well. And, of course, if you do have needs for your business, the folks at Culligan have commercial and industrial water products and solutions as well. Find out more by checking them out online at drinkculligan.com or pop down and see the Culligan man and the entire crew down at 1200 Sergeant Avenue or give them a call 204-694-5180. Culligan hydrating myself. Certainly Remus just got a delivery last week. Just a great service. And bottom line, great people. Another great family-owned business here in the city of Winnipeg. And, uh, Wow, we're just about ready to celebrate the fifth anniversary of Little Brown Jug. And uh, to commemorate five years in biz, the folks over at Little Brown Jug have a brand new five-year anniversary brew, the Brute IPA. It's a celebratory beer brewed for Little Brown Jug's fifth anniversary, a champagne-like extra dry IPA with flavors of citrus and stone fruit. And our guy Dallas Paul's, had a, a birthday yesterday. Uh, well, his Cowboys were unable to get the W, but he did have a great day because he was drinking uh, some of that brand new five-year anniversary Little Brown Jug Brute IPA. And they've also released a special edition five-year tulip glass with a commemorative gold five-year logo on one side, a gold regular Little Brown Jug, Little Brown Jug logo on the other, and a gold rim. Check the website for more as well as the great gift boxes available where you can select one of our curated gift boxes or create your own by adding some merch and beer and adding the custom gift box to the cart they'll put it together for them and deliver a great great option getting ready for the holidays it's all over at littlebrownjug.ca or check them out at the tap room over on William Avenue. And a big shout out to our friends at Not Autocorp as well. The winter is here. You might be thinking it's time for a new vehicle before you do anything. Hit up the Not crew. Why not get into the car of your dreams at an amazing price with the help of the Not team? And they're also quite excited because the Winnipeg Car Lab is open as well. If you haven't seen the commercial um, that they did with Milt Stiegel, it really is neat. You can see it on the Not social channels as well uh, or on the website over at Not. All right, I do want to talk a little more bombers in CFL. We'll do that with uh, with Remus in a few minutes. Uh, A bombshell, a nuke, essentially, through the Edmonton Elks organization today. No surprise to anyone. Uh, But we'll get to that in a minute. First off, considering we just got ready for this Jets-Penguins game tonight with Jeff Hamilton, I figured it would be a good time to hear what Coach Paul Maurice has to say. He spoke earlier today after the morning skate and getting ready for uh, his squad to welcome Sidney Crosby and the Penguins tonight to the Canada Life Center. Josh's dad, do you have any memories of Tom from maybe some interactions? Yeah, you know, they do. And and we don't spend a whole lot of time interacting with parents. You get your father's trip every once in a while. Um, 
and and more kind of the interactions with your family maybe in the family's room right so that would be the the story always so positive and upbeat about the jets and and how his son was handled because you know kind of a high a high pick come in and it wasn't an easy necessarily straight line and you you have experiences over the course of your career of mom and dad's not understanding why that the day after the draft he wasn't first line center or whatever or the progression that had been and, and he was always so very positive about the direction right uh, really like what's going on ways handled so uh, it was really positive feedback with him and I think that attitude you see in Josh, right? You see in the sun. He's always really upbeat guy, coming to work, excited to work. He's a good man. Paul, uh, two, kind of a two-part question here for you. We we know, obviously, the relationship with the organization and what Jamie and Tina Compon are going through. Uh, so first half on that and what this night means to you from that perspective. But also, uh, has there been anybody personally uh, along the way that uh, – you're thinking up tonight as well. Um, so for Tina and Jamie, um, do you know, that's not how the right way is. It's a significant battle that they've been fighting for a long time. It's been years now. And if you were going to try to find an example, hopefully you never have to go through it, but if you if you have to and you're going to try to find an example of, of people that have continued to live and fight and experience life and be a part of other people's lives it would be the two of them right like you don't get a chance to know tina and how she's involved like christmas the baking that she does so we roll into anaheim everybody puts on 10 pounds right like it's just how she's able to do that and then jamie's work ethic from afar would astound you the amount of video that that man grinds on his off days and puts up on one drive so we can all just in, it's incredible to watch how productive their lives have been, and they've been battling this for a long time. The so it's almost an inspiration, right? To not a lot of days where you have an excuse to get out of bed late because he isn't, she isn't. You need to get your butt out of bed, right? Because Jamie's already sent you ten things that you got to look at, and he's five texts. Have you ever seen it yet? Have you watched the video yet? Oh man, uh, yeah. And personally, yeah. I mean, we, I don't know anybody that doesn't. I mean, we have somebody in our family right now battling, and it's serious. And I would, I would say if we extended our families out to cousins and all of us would be dealing, somebody would be dealing with it right now. It's just everywhere. Um, this is a nice part of being in the National Hockey League. It's, it's a month, and, it's, and it's, it's something that every single person in the room, every player, trainer, coach, manager is attached to. Every one of you in the room, right? It's... How do you say it's a nice part? In a difficult situation, it's a great connector for all of us and probably everybody that's sitting in that building tonight. We're all. This is going to be the toughest game of the year because there's probably going to be some kids come out in the ice tonight and I'm going to be staring at my feet for the most part just trying to get through it, right, like everybody else. It's, a, it's tough. And then you also get inspired at the same time. How'd it go for Paul today on the conditioning scheme? The word, the word good came out. So we're hanging on that. He'll skate again tomorrow, and we are expecting to bring him on the trip. Can you tell us about the lineup for tonight? It'll be the same. What do you expect the style of game to look like tonight, Paul? We've seen a lot of East opponents this season. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that Pittsburgh has hung on to from their Stanley Cup runs is a pace of play. So they, they you know, when 
Sidney Crosby's back in the lineup. He's up 1.13 points a game for 16 years. So that that changes what they're able to uh, finish, I think. You know, the plays around the net, the skill plays, the breakout plays. But that they play at a really high intensity level and they're on the puck. And that would be a term that we use in our locker room a lot. And I think we're still trying to get there. I think that even three, our last three games, I've liked us on the puck. I would say I would include the St. Louis game, not so much the LA game, but in that four of our last five, we're on the puck the way we're supposed to be. I think that they've learned to do it naturally. So what does that mean to you? This won't be, I don't think you're going to see a lot of bodies turning away the puck from the puck to create motion. It's not going to be a flow game, but it will be very, very fast. It'll be very, very direct. They're kind of a special team extreme, if you will. Yep. Uh, you know, number one on the PK and number 32 on the power play. Um, and, and in your video, uh, also, they're leading the league in shots. So, Correct. You know, are they just one of those teams they pound, pound, pound away, or are they are they getting it's a quickness. It's a, it's a quickness, and I, I think uh, not all the teams that shoot the puck. Some teams shoot the puck at a high volume. Um, and I and I, I wonder sometimes if there's a value to it because it's a potential change of possession for you, right? They've got the puck, they rip it out of bad angle. If you're right where you're supposed to be, it's not particularly dangerous. These guys, I think their pucks go to the net because of confidence. They're going to make a play if a play is there. They're, they're not taking a two-on-one that's that's a real good chance or has, and they're going to rip it at the net with their head down. That's not happening. But anything short of that, puck goes to the net and they try to create the chaos off it. That to me is the right way for the puck to go to the net. They, they, inappropriate term is you, you shoot the shit is it's, okay so you can edit that part out but the idea is if there's not a lot there put it at the net right they don't the good teams just put that at the net they don't there's nothing going on here i'm going to try to fire this across through seven sticks because then something great may happen when it's there they just make the play and when it's not it just goes to the net so they, it, it keeps their pace high i, I thought they put heck of a game Toronto, just outstanding when you play a team that has a clear cut number one center, do you at home last change? Do you chase that matchup at all? They used to. I think I used to, and now we'll do it maybe more off who the wingers are, because I like um, so Shaif and Dwight, left and right hand centermen, probably putting them on the ice right now with the way they're playing on the, on their strong side on faceoffs and not worrying about that matchup. Uh, and then if you don't get it, Lowry's going. So we have three centermen that all run against the other team's best. I may just not do it all night long. So you get into the 10-minute mark of the first period, you go, okay, how are we doing? So whether Dreisaitl was coming over, McDavid was coming, he was either getting Dubois or Scheif, but even in that, their shift length is longer than ours. So Lowry's getting them too. So we haven't watched it. We were harder with our pair of defense, but even there... Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we've got kind of a, a more physical pairing and a more speed-based pairing, and we'll try to make a decision before the game what we think will match up the best, and then Charlie just changes it if he's wrong, and we went in one of the games, flipped it halfway through the Edmonton games. So we're not going to chase one guy, uh, but we'll get a feel for what we think the Wings can do. All right, there's head coach Paul Maurice. Hockey fights cancer tonight. At Canada Life Center as the Jets host the Pittsburgh Penguins. And that game starting at a, a bit of an unusual 7.30 start tonight. So govern yourselves accordingly. Um, big thanks to our friends at the Nick and Nikki DQ Group. Of course, four locations in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba. The DQ in Niverville, DQ Northgate, both with drive throughs DQ over Polo Park. And the DQ on St. Anne's. 
for the first time open year round. Now that uh, Nick and Nikki have taken it over, of course, you can get that incredible the uh, steakhouse burger. Oh, does that ever look good? And I got to tell you something funny, Reem. I uh, so fly, <laughs> I flew in to Saskatoon, uh, flew to Calgary, then flew to Saskatoon, and the lady, <laughs> the lady beside me, we got you know got onto the uh, onto the ground. I turn my phone on. I'm looking to see what the score in the bomber game is. I look over. You know what the first thing that the lady beside me did when she touched down in Saskatchewan? Fired up the DQ app. Uh, I'm not sure whether she had to pick something up or was just that excited to uh, get a steakhouse burger in her or a potentially a blizzard, but uh, can't really blame her. Try it today. And if you do want a cake for an upcoming event, hit them up on Insta at DQ Manitoba. They'll get it ready for you. You can pick it up at any of the four Nick and Nicky locations. Uh, let's get to the Boston Pizza scoreboard tonight in the National Hockey League. We've got uh, actually kind of a busy Monday. Uh, Columbus at Buffalo, Vegas at St. Louis, Anaheim at Nashville. There was the game here in Winnipeg, Pittsburgh and the Winnipeg Jets. The uh, Avalanche are on a bit of a heater right now, and they've got the Ottawa Senators coming into Denver. And the final game tonight, Carolina at San Jose. And, of course, it's the Giants and Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. No better place to get together for the big game than BP. Enjoy ice-cold schooners, great pizza, and, of course, world-famous Boston's Wings as well. And, of course, you can order at home on bostonpizza.com or call your local BP. Um, let's get Remo back in here. And just before we get to the Bombers, I know a lot of people in the chat talking about Hockey Fights Cancer Night. Um, you know, cancer is something that has touched everybody at some point, unfortunately, some more than others. Of course, we know about the, uh, you know, the unfortunate passing of Josh Morrissey's father last year. And uh, it sounds like Josh is actually going to be uh, doing a little fundraising as well for the cancer charities with one of his jackets. But uh, I mean, it's always a special night. I mean, I just think, I mean, there's a few more tear jerking scenes that when they bring out some of those young kids that have battled cancer before out to center ice before the game. And um, but always a special one and a very important um, endeavor for both the Winnipeg Jets and the National Hockey League celebrated tonight. Yeah, it's um, you're kind of emotional hearing everyone in chat um, mention someone that they've uh, lost to cancer and everyone knows knows someone. And a lot of the comments today from the media availability were, you know, directed to Josh Morrissey or about, you know, losing his father in the summer. And, you know, again, we've talked about this, how we just had a rough you know, season just because of what was going on in his personal life. And um, he posted this on Instagram yesterday. Here's a picture of him and his dad. Um, and his dad coached him, bonded over hockey. And Josh will be wearing this blazer to the game, which he will be auctioning off, as you said, a custom hockey fights cancer blazer. And I think I saw maybe Bogosian sporting a similar one on his Instagram, but this will be auctioned off going to Canadian Cancer Society. And I mean, that, that uh, ceremony they have, uh, before the hockey fights cancer game, I mean, you can't imagine what some of the people um, they bring on the ice, um, you know, what that, you know, what they're going through, and um, you know, you do get quite. It's a very well done ceremony the Jets have done for for a number of years for hockey fights cancer night. No, absolutely, and uh, I know at the game, uh, the last game I was at on the uh, last homestand. I guess it was the Tuesday game against Edmonton last week. Um, some of the, I believe it was the Jets' wives and girlfriends. 
Uh, we're out selling, um, you know, the wrap pucks and a number mm-hmm. of a number of neat things. So yeah, if you're at the game tonight, certainly a great charity to support. Um, and you can uh, check out. I'm sure the Jets will put out that email as well. Know before you go with some of the information where you can pick up that and uh, support the Hockey Fights Cancer Charity. Um, all right, Remo, let's talk. Uh, we, let's get to the Bombers. Um, I, I guess in some ways a bit of a disappointing end to the season. Uh, you know, up late and then uh, Calgary storming back in the final six minutes to get into 13-12 win. But in reality, uh, I mean, yes, selfishly, I was hoping Zach Caleros could get the 171 yards to lead the C-League and uh, the CFL in passing yards and cash that ticket. But the victory really was getting out of that game relatively unscathed. And uh, by all accounts, the one guy there might be some concern about is Brandon Alexander. We'll find out more this week. Um, But all in all, Bombers sitting pretty right now. Chilling in the peg this week, throwing the TV on to watch Calgary and Saskatchewan go at it and then see who will be coming down to Winnipeg to play the Bombers. And of course, if it's Calgary, especially how many players, as Jeff Hamilton mentioned, might not be making the trip because they can't fly as they're unvaccinated. Yeah, that's something we'll have to keep an eye on. But as far as the Bombers season goes, um, the Brandon Alexander, we don't really know. People are asking what's his status. We have no idea. They didn't give any update after the game. Um, you know, we're going from Ed Tate's tweet. You know, he walked off under his own power. Um, was on a punt cover. So you hope he's okay. One of the best safeties in the league. That'll be a, a big, a big loss uh, for them. But again, we have we have no idea. There's there's no update. So you hope you hope that's nothing too serious. And thankfully, they got like two weeks. Yeah, to you recover. gotta love that bye week. So you know, absolutely. So as far as the bombers go, I mean, I'm not concerned with the results of the games. I mean, they're glorified exhibition games i know who's the guy in calgary saying you know we knew we were the better team i mean the bombers weren't (laughs) i don't want to say they weren't trying to win because the players on the field are trying to win but they're not dressing all their their a guys so yeah they uh, really cared about winning you think they're putting drew brown in the second half yeah probably not i mean drew brown wants to win and the team the guys were playing but like yeah they're the strategy they're employing is like it was like it was an exhibition game so I mean, if hey, you're, the, no, go I was ahead. just going to say the one guy that that really took advantage of the opportunity and a guy that I think we've been sort of waiting to see all year long was Johnny Augustine. Yes. I mean, he was phenomenal from what I saw during the game. And again, I had to catch up with it because I was flying during most of it. Um, but, you know, looking, you know, I think Hamilton, uh, you know, and a number of people put out some tweets that I mean, if, want to talk about an opportunity to audition maybe for a starting role elsewhere next year. Johnny certainly did uh, did very well for himself in that respect. And I think also maybe reminded the coaching staff that, you know, although he didn't play a lot during the regular season, going into the playoffs, he's a guy that, you know, might be worthy of a few touches, change of pace. But, you know, we expect Andrew Harris to be back. Brady Oliveira's had a real strong um, time in place of Andrew Harris at times this year. But there's more than just those two Oak Park products in the bomber backfield and Johnny Augustine is a big, big part of that as well. Looking forward to having the bombers defensive player of the year, Adam big Hill on the program tomorrow. And again, don't forget folks. I believe I heard last week they had less than 5,000 tickets left for the game on the 5th of December. I'm going to be there. No Reem's going to be there. I think everyone's going to be there. I mean, we'll bundle up. It's going to be a little late in the season, but we're a hearty folk. And certainly the bombers deserve to have a, uh, with the season that they've had so far, 
knowing that this game has been essentially in ink for the last couple months, be great to see everyone get out there and uh, hopefully send the Bombers off to Hamilton to try to run it back as a, a back-to-back Grey Cup champions, albeit with a uh, canceled season last year during due to the yeah. pandemic. Well, Rima, while the Bombers get ready for the fifth, while the Riders and the, uh, the Calgary Stampeders get ready for the West Semi, while BC looks to next season, uh, a nuclear bomb throughout the Elks management and coaching staff today as just about everybody got fired uh, I'm just looking at the uh, release today. The board of directors of the Elks have terminated the president and CEO, Chris Presson, general manager and VP of football operations, Brock Sutherland, and head coach, Jamie Elizondo, effective immediately. And I was talking to Dusty on the weekend. I'm heading into it today. Um, and, you know, there was an expectation that something was going to happen today, whether it would just be Brock Sutherland whether there would be more to it. I mean, uh, the board, I think, realizing the dire situation at Edmonton, a team, an organization that has always been supported very well, um, you know, a 3-11 and embarrassment of a season, really hitting rock bottom this year. And um, everything is seemingly is going to be different next year for the Elks. And, um, you know, I have a feeling they realized they had to do that to go forward and try and regain the trust of a fan base that, um, you know, it's one thing, we talked about this last year, you go from anger to apathy, and it was apathy in the second half of the season for the Edmonton Elks, and that's bad news for the Canadian Football League, and especially for the organization, and uh, the other shoe fell today. Yeah, and Edmonton's a city um, that cares about CFL. I mean, they have well-attended games, uh, and going 3-11, and um, and the way that they played us, I mean, you, they, we were picking, uh, like, Trevor Harris to lead the league in passing before they were talking about how good they were going to be uh, with Daryl Walker. The offense on paper was awesome. Yeah, but uh, the defense sucked in real life. (laughs) Yeah, the defense sucked. I mean, they gave up almost as many points as Ottawa. Um, The offense was not there. They were switch around quarterbacks. It was a miserable season. And I think there was a lot of off-field stuff going on with the GM, you know, uh, letting go certain people, you know, during uh, the the pandemic cut season or during the season. And, um, yeah, I mean, so I think if you want to regain uh, the public's confidence in your product, um, this seems like a good start, and we'll see what happens going forward. But uh, re- I was high on Edmonton with, um, you know, with the weapons that they had on offense, Hus, and you thought that oh, they could do that's something. That's why that season was just such a uh, – was so shocking. I mean, yeah. you got Trevor Harris, you got Wilder, Williams. I mean, you had so much talent on that team, and, I mean – they lost it home to Ottawa and Ottawa or they lost that first game of the season to Ottawa on that late pick six in a game where they I think they outgained Ottawa something like four to one and still managed to lose and never really came back from it. Lost to Ottawa twice this year. I mean, they're loaned with victories up until that final one in the final game of the regular season. So uh, it's got a lot of feel in Edmonton to what we felt here in Winnipeg right about the time they blew it all up. And uh, fired Joe Mack, fired everybody, basically, and uh, got things going with the uh, new regime of the uh, Canadian Mafia of Wade Miller, Kyle Walters, and, of course, Mike O'Shea. Um, So, yeah, Big Hill tomorrow on the program. Looking forward to that. By the way, folks, if you haven't already, do us a favor. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that thumbs up. Make sure that you've subscribed. If you're listening on the podcast, pop by sometime and check it out. If you're able to, hit that red subscribe button. Certainly helps us. And uh, 
Rewire, we're closing in on, what, 6,000 subscribers. That'll be a big, big day on the program. We have to do a special marble race that day when we get to 6K. Yeah, we're we're close. We're almost at uh, 5,900. So I know like 30% of the people watching right now aren't, aren't subscribed. So come on, what are you waiting for? Hit Do the boys hit, a favor. It's free, folks. Button. All you got to do is click. Yeah, the, we're, t- uh, we're talking to you button. there. We're talking to you. But um, could not literally be any easier. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you know, the other reason, too, if you are subscribed and you haven't hit the notifications bell, uh, do that because we may go on at uh, times that are not our regular time especially this Friday where the Jets play at 2.30, I feel like we might go either 10 or 11 or sometime in between. So yeah. um, It's going to be a morning do- start on Friday for yeah. Friday's show, absolutely. Good. And we'll Good. try not to have it very dated. I mean, we'll do a lot of football content. We'll get ready for the CFL playoffs. We'll talk NFL. We will have uh, more reports from right here in Saskatoon as uh, five Manitoba teams try to become Canada's representative at the Olympic Games. So we will have a packed show and uh, much more on that throughout the week. And speaking of that, uh, looking forward to um, playing a little conversation I had with the one and only Ted Wyman a little earlier today, just before he left the hotel, heading over to the Sastel Center for this afternoon's draw. Uh, before we do that, you know what goes great with curling or great with ice? Canadian Club. Uh, big shout out to Canadian Club, our official whiskey, the official whiskey of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and uh, the uh, providers of the amazing prizes we've had for those marble races every Friday here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. I know there'll be a lot of CC being poured to keep people warm on the 5th of December at IG Field. In the meantime, you can get the great taste of Canadian Club at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts. Um, All right, Princess Auto, great sponsor of ours. We've always been doing our curling reports, and we thought, man, we can really step it up this week by coming out here to Saskatoon and being all over the Tim Hortons curling trials. I, curling, not something everyone's in, but at times like this, especially in Winnipeg and Manitoba, which is the hotbed of this sport, arguably in the world, um, you know, we got to spend some time talking about it. It was great to get on the weekend, really great atmosphere. Um, and as far as it goes, when it comes to the best curlers in the world, I know many of the other countries are sort of now challenging Canada, but I'm not sure you'll find a more stacked field anywhere than the nine men's teams and the nine women's teams that are vying to represent Canada at the Olympics over the course of this week. Of course, Princess Auto, proud sponsors of Jennifer Jones' team, who's 3-0, and top of the table right now on the women's side, and Mike McEwen, who had a big win on the weekend uh, on the in their game number one, and then had the bye yesterday. I was hooking up with our good pal Reed Carruthers at the hotel. They were like, well, of all the days to have a day off during the event, NFL Sunday, not the worst one to have, uh, but I did see him earlier this morning on the way to their meeting. The game face was on, getting ready for a big matchup this afternoon, an all-Manitoba matchup between McEwen's squad and Jason Gunlickson. Of course, Princess Auto, not only a great sponsor of curling locally and around the country, but also the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Of course, check them out. Family owned, headquartered in Winnipeg, Canada wide, two locations to check out in person in Winnipeg. And of course you can also uh, shop 24, seven, 365. Whenever that idea comes into your head, get on over to princessauto.com. So for a special 
Princess Auto Curling Report. Let's uh, hook up with Ted Wyman, who I caught up with just before he headed down to the rink for this afternoon's draw. Eddie, what's up? Great to have you on the program. Well, what is up is a whole lot of curling huts. It's uh, it is a grind for the players. There's no doubt. It is a bit of a grind for the media too, because there's just so many games. And if you're here following a Manitoba, uh, following the Manitoba curlers, they're pretty much front and center every draw. It's just such a huge representation of Manitobans, and it would not be at all of a shock to see somebody from Manitoba qualifying for the Olympics. And uh, what a great feat that would be. No doubt about it. I mean, five teams. And I mean, Manitobans sprinkled throughout this event, even on the non-Manitoba teams. We've got a couple on Matt Dunstone, of course, Colton Lotz there. I mean, even uh, some expats like Ryan Fry. I mean, the list is quite long and not surprising. I mean, with Manitoba really being the uh, hotbed of the sport in the country, and some would say the world, um, this province very well represented uh, in the biggest event that happens every four years with the biggest prize on the line for the teams. Well, and obviously it's particularly strong on the women's side, uh, Huss, where you've got the two-time defending Scotty's champion in Carrie Anderson, who is right at the top of the, the list of favorites here this week. And you've got Jennifer Jones, who all she's done is won Olympic gold medal in 2014. She's won two world championships. She's won six Scotties. Um, and then, you know, You've got the Tracy Fleury team, and they're number one in the world right now. They're the top-ranked team in the world rankings because of how successful they've been so far in the 2021-2022 season. And, you know, you they come in here, honestly, as four players who've never played in the Olympic trials before, but very much favorites to win. And with the way it started with Rachel Holman losing two games right off the bat and Carrie Anderson going one and two in her first three, Flurry's looking even more like a favorite at 2-0, and and Jen Jones looking just great at 3-0. and Well, Jen had that huge win last night to be the first team to get to 3-0, and but let's focus in on the Flurry team because I think a lot of folks that, you know, maybe aren't following the sport week in and week out, they, you know, they know the big events, um, and those big events have been dominated by Kerry Anderson, and, you know, going into this event, uh, Ted, it was Tracy Flurry, and I mean, we had a little chat. By the way, I'll give a plug. Check out Ted's on the rocks bit. We were talking a little bit of the the sports betting side of things. When the odds came out for this, Flurry was near the top, and I mean, continued to drop because of her recent form. Where has this come from? I mean, is this sort of been out of the blue, or is this sort of like you know, Carrie Anderson was in the shadows for a while of Jen Jones, and then finally got to the top and it broke out? Are we seeing that happen with this Flurry rink right now? I think you may have hit the nail right on the head there, Huss. I think that might be just the kind of situation it is. But we can't get too far ahead of ourselves because the Flurry team has not won the big one, and that's just the truth. They've played, played in some Canadian championships, um, and they've been Team Manitoba. They've been a wildcard team. Um, it, they're good. And three of the four players on that team, Selena Negevin, Liz Fife, and Kristen McCush, have been together almost a decade. Perry Anderson was their skip until 2018. She left to form her own team, and they brought in Tracy Fleury. He was actually from Sudbury, Ontario. And and they it's taken a while for them to gel, but they've been right there for the last four years. The one knock on them is that they haven't been winning the big one. But I'll tell you, they won a Grand Slam event not long before coming here, and they beat Olympic gold medalist Anna Hasselborg in the final to do so and jumped ahead of Hasselborg in the world rankings. That means something. So there's no doubting in my mind. I think, honestly, if I'm making my picks, I've been picking Flurry all along to win this thing. It's just a question of it coming down to that biggest of big games here, 
next weekend if they're going to be able to perform at their absolute best. We haven't actually seen them do it yet, but as Anderson proved, you can break out, and uh, this might be just their time. Uh, Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun with us here in Saskatoon discussing the Tim Hortons Olympic curling trials. I'm staying on the women's side of things, I mean, Fleury has been the talk. And, you know, I'll make another betting analogy. When we came in, we saw a ton of support. There were three teams that were seemingly getting all the action and their odds dropped. Tracy Fleury's team, Rachel Holman's team, and Carrie Anderson. The Jen Jones rank started off at about 5-1 to one and ended up at more than 8-1. to one. Is this a surprise, the great start? for the Jen Jones rank, or should we expect it for someone that has been so accomplished? I mean, maybe more than anyone in the sport. It's not a surprise to me, but I'll tell you why it's not a surprise. The teams that she's played so far are Harrison, McCarville, and, um, and Laura Walker. Now, Harrison's been a huge surprise here going two and one, beating Anderson and Homan. So you got to give her a lot of credit, but Jones has not played the top seeds yet. She hasn't played Homan. She hasn't played Anderson. She hasn't played Fleury. So you think you'd, you'd really want to be 3-0 and at this point. You, you should be if you're going to be in contention to get to the playoffs because you have to win those games. The toughest ones are still to come, but there's never – I don't doubt Jennifer Jones ever. She is one, probably the greatest curler in women's curling history, certainly in Canada, right up there with Sandra Schmirler, and you just don't count her out. She's 46 years old now, but she looks like she's – Playing, she's curling at the top form again. She's got an excellent team. And, you know, there's no reason to believe that she won't be there at the end of the week contending for another spot in the Olympics. And I think once you've already done it once, you've got it. You just have a different kind of confidence uh, coming in. And that helps. Well, uh, the Jones rank three and O taken on the Scheidegger, which is one of the other great surprises, I would say so far. I mean, up at two, two and one um, Flurry's at two and O they're taking on the one and two McCarville rank. And then Ted, you know, in tonight's draw two games are, oh, it's almost loser leaves town matches. If you'll allow me a wrestling reference, uh, Holman, Owen two, Kelsey rock, Owen two head to head. I mean, starting off at Owen three, pretty much your week's over before it gets going. And the same situation to an extent with Walker and Anderson going up both at one and two. I mean, a one and three start would, I mean, pretty much would allow you only the smallest room for error and pretty much have to run the table. Yeah, I do think that three losses has a good chance of getting in. It did in both the men's and women's fields in 2017. It's going to be third place, like, you know, at best. And then you're, and maybe a tiebreaker, and then you're battling to try to get, uh, you know, to that top of the hill. But um, it is doable. But you're right. If either one of those teams lose, or whoever loses, whoever goes to three losses today, they are now on the brink of elimination, and they can't afford anything else. The pressure is huge here, and it's amazing how quickly it ramps up. There's other events at the Briar and the Scotties, and various other events. It doesn't ramp up to the level that it's at on day three. And, you know, you can feel the tension already here. Yeah, and it's important to notice. I mean, I'm not sure whether I've ever mentioned this before, but, um, you know, the format of this, I mean, there's nine teams. You play everyone else once. You get eight games. If you finished first, you go right to the final and you're one win away from you know, representing Canada in the Olympics. The two and three teams play off to meet that first place team. 
So, so much on the line to be part of that top three, but a major, major benefit to finishing at the top. Ted, let's talk about the men here. Um, so far, no surprise, certainly when you looked at what were the uh, the favorites coming in, Brad Gushu and Brad Jacobs, both 2-0, and oh, um, but a really stunning start for Brendan Botcher, who, uh, you know, of course, has been, you know, dominant at this level, you know, amongst the bride of the last couple of seasons. I don't think a lot of people saw him starting off the way he has. And maybe it's one thing to be 0-2, but the way he got to 0-2 and, and against who, I mean, uh, blowing it, giving up two in the 10th and then one in the 11th last night was uh, was really a stunning way for Botcher's week to begin. Yeah, and that was against Tanner Horgan, who's 23 years old, and this is his first Olympic trials. Hasn't played in a in a Briar ever. And Brendan Botcher has played in the last four Briar finals, and he finally won his first here in 2021, back uh, last March. And you do expect different from him, but I will say that they were playing on a very tricky sheet of ice. They said, I heard this from both the men's and women's sides, that the sheet closest to the crowd um, on the one side where they're showing a lot of the uh, TV games is it's the ice is changing a lot. And Rachel Holman had a ton of trouble on it. And um, and then Brendan Botcher clearly had trouble on it because his draw was light on his last one against Horgan. It was not a particularly difficult shot. It's one he makes in his sleep. You'd expect him to do it all the time. But sometimes when the ice changes, and I, I know people don't like hearing it when curlers make excuses because of the ice, I'm just going to make it for them. Because I can tell you that these curlers, if conditions are perfect, are not missing shots like that. And in this case, I do think that the changing ice conditions, acknowledged by everyone on uh, the men and women who played on that sheet on that day did play a role. You know, uh, uh, let's move over to the men's, uh, men's side as far as the Manitobans go. And today, a big matchup between Mike McEwen's team and Jason Gunlickson's. Gunlickson started off is is 0-1 after losing to Epping. Um, Ted, I, I you know, it's funny. I was talking to some of the guys from the Epping team, and they sort of admitted that that was a real tough spot for Gunner to be in, having the bye in the first round and then playing his first match against a team that had already had a game playing on the on the ice and, you know, getting a chance to feel the conditions. Uh, Gunner didn't have that opportunity. Extremely bad luck of the draw there for Gunner, I think, to have uh, had to sit out that first draw because you're right. This ice is very tricky. Every single... Um, time you start a briar or a scotties or any big event and this one is the biggest of them all it takes a little while to get the ice figured out and for one team to have had a chance to play and figure it out and the other one not it's definitely not it's an unfair advantage it's not something that anything can be done about if you're going to have a 19 field but that's just the truth and uh, unfortunately for gunner they they were affected by it and i'm interested to see how um, the day off yesterday affects the Mike McEwen team because Mike McEwen played fantastic in his first game against Matt Dunstone. Everyone in that game acknowledged that Mike was the best player on the ice. And I, I can tell you, everyone in curling will say that a red-hot Mike McEwen is a dangerous, dangerous curler. Like, he can get up there. He's not always that hot, but when he gets hot, he is somebody to really watch out for. Then they take a day off and you just wonder, you know, do you lose a little bit because of that? So it'll be very interesting to watch that matchup. Yeah, I had a good chat with Reed Carruthers yesterday at the hotel and uh, you said basically the same thing. They felt very, very good about the way they started the event. And, you know, in some ways that first game is so important, which, you know, kind of speaks to the uh, unfortunate situation that Gunlickson was in. But for uh, McEwen to go up against a Dunstone rank that has, you know, beaten a lot of those top teams and to perform the way they did. Um, 
you know, I think a lot of people were wondering which Mike McEwen and Mike McEwen squad would be here. And certainly early results are that um, they're here and they are going to need to be reckoned with. They always are. And, you know, Mike McEwen was in the final in 2017 against Kevin Cooey. And there was just one shot that, uh, you know, he came down to one shot and Kevin Cooey made it. And it wasn't even an easy shot. He just is one of the greatest players to ever play. And he made it. And that was a different team for Mike McEwen. Changed things up, at, you know, joined Reed Crothers and his team. Reed moved from skip down to third. And now they're playing, you know, Derek Samogalski and Colin Hodgson are still there. And it, it's taken a long time for that team to gel. They haven't really um, been at the absolute top yet. Um, and I don't even know. And this is the end of the quadrennial, depending on what happens here. I'm not certain that the team even stays together longer after this. But this is something that happened the last time, is that Mike came into it kind of knowing that his team was maybe not continuing on after, uh, after that year. That was when he was with B.J. Newfeld and Matt Wozniak and Denny Newfeld, and they went out and had an amazing tournament and almost won it. So I don't know. Maybe those guys are talking about things like that just to see if they can get them fired up or something like that, because it sure seems to be working at least early on. And, you know, they've only played one game, so it's hard to say. But I do know that that's a team that everyone in curling knows can get hot and needs to be reckoned with. Yeah, any given Sunday, as they say in football, but I mean, any given opportunity of a team like of that nature that has done it and had been so close in this event before, I mean, you certainly need to pay attention to. All that being said, though, Gushu and Jacobs were sort of the smart money coming in as the favorites. Who, in your opinion, Ted, is the team to beat right now on the men's side heading into today's action? I said Cooey two days ago as the, you know, that's my pick to go to the Olympics. And I'm not backing off on that, but I, I can't believe how good Brad Kushu looks so far in this thing, man. His team just looks surgical out there. And that really, you know, I mean, he's been the best curler in the world on the men's side. Um, no, that's not fair. Nicholas Adine has been the best curler in the world on the men's side. But Brad has been the best curler in Canada on the men's side over the last five-year period. They've learned how to win the big event. They've won the Briar three times. And, you know, the expectation expectations are high. I would be shocked if he's not in the final. And, you know, it could be Gushu and Kui again. They already played yesterday. We all talked about how that could be a preview, and I would not be shocked by that. Yeah, well, I mean, Kui had a big opportunity for a big end. and uh, But like we said before, I mean, I think we were talking about uh, with you on, on the rocks, um, you know, the, the, the margin between winning and losing at this level is so minuscule. And you need to take care of those opportunities, especially against some of the top teams. And, not, you know, Kui wasn't able to get it done yesterday against Brad Gushu. Ted, this has been a lot of fun. Feel people in. You, you know, you're not even just covering this event for the Winnipeg Sun. I imagine your bylines are really coast to coast for post media right now. That's a fact. Yeah, we run from Vancouver to Montreal and uh, pretty much every big market. And and I try to do my best to, you know, touch on all the bases for everyone across the country. It's, it's kind of cool because I do like that. A lot of times in the past, I'd be covering it for the Winnipeg Sun, you're very specifically writing about the Manitoba teams. And I'm very cool with that, but I do like being able to do the entire diversity of the country in terms of uh, all these different teams, getting to know everyone and um, been having a lot of fun with it. A couple of stories a day in the papers across the country and also my on the rocks video series, which you were very uh, gracious to join me on earlier today. And uh, I, I really get a, a kick out of doing this Curling was not my sport growing up. I don't play it, but I really enjoy being around curling and curling events. 
No, absolutely. The people are phenomenal. And when it comes to an event like this, I mean, there's four years of work that has led these 18 teams to this event. Um, there'll only be two standing at the end. The stakes are incredibly high, as is the uh, the talent on the ice. Uh, Ted, we'll see you down at the rink a little later on today. Thanks for doing this. Right on, buddy. Thank you. All right, thanks again to Ted for uh, hooking up with me before he headed off for this afternoon's draws. Men on the ice right now as we do the show live on YouTube. And tonight, a full slate of a huge matchups on the women's side. And, uh, you know, a perfect segue from our Princess Auto Curling Report to checking the lines with our friends at CoolBet Canada. And of course, I'm doing a bunch of content for CoolBet as well. Chris Abbott's out here. He and I did uh, preview videos this morning for both this afternoon's men's draw and this evening's women's draw. And we have a boosted parlay as well available. So let's take a look at it. Of course, men on the ice right now. But this evening, Jen Jones, 3-0. and Great start going up against Casey Scheidegger at 2-1. and Jen's a minus 227 favorite. Uh, Rachel Holman, 0-2. Stunning start for the Holman rank. And they, of course, are uh, the cool bet team. So we would love to see them make a bit of a run and get back into it. Um, almost a playoff game right now. Holman's rank, Rock's rank, both 0-2. Holman, a big favorite, minus 667. And uh, the number one ranked team in the world, you just heard Ted talk about them. Um, you know, really under the radar for a long time, but not to anyone that's been following what's happening this season. Tracy Flurry, number one ranked, the favorite going into this event, minus 333 up against Krista McCarville. And the final matchup, Carrie Einerson and Laura Walker, both teams one and two, desperately needing wins. Einerson, the uh, two-time defending Scottish champ, is minus 270, and Laura Walker is plus 194. I personally did a little parlay. It's actually a bit better of a number right now than when I did it earlier today. Jones to win, Holman to win, Flurry to win was 102 earlier. Now I think Holman's numbers come down a little bit as his Flurry. You'll get plus 115 if you want to parlay those three together. But we got a little exotic for our Olympic trials boosted parlay today, hitting a couple of the rock lines. We're going to go with Jen Jones, minus one and a half. So the Jones rank to win by two. Laura Walker up against Carrie Einerson. Walker is getting a rock and a half. So we need Walker to either lose by one or to win the matchup. And the final one for that is the McCarville rank, who's actually looked quite good going up against Flurry. They're getting two and a half. So uh, essentially McCarville to lose by two or less. That one we put together was about plus 554. We've got it boosted to plus 675. If you want to get on that, get to coolbet.com. Just click on the boosted parlays, and you've got the boosted curling parlay from Hustler and Chris. That is up there right now. Uh, In addition to all the great curling action, uh, we mentioned there's a lot going on with the National Hockey League tonight. Let's see what we've got for the Jets odds, as well as the other games tonight. Uh, Columbus, minus 130 favorite in Buffalo to take on the Sabres. Preds, minus 141 faves at home against the Anaheim Ducks. The St. Louis Blues, minus 156 against the Vegas Golden Knights. Colorado, a big favorite, minus 333 at home against Ottawa. And uh, the Winnipeg Jets, minus 112. Pittsburgh, minus 104. That game, of course, is 7.30 start at Canada Life Center. Actually, probably pretty good value on the Jets, to be honest. Uh, And Carolina, minus 156 at San Jose. 
Uh, and Oilers and Stars, oh, that's already tomorrow. That is up. Oilers on the road, minus 109, minus 109. It's all available right now. And quickly, as we mentioned, we do have lines now as well for the CFL playoff games. We'll get to that after we get to Monday Night Football. It's the Buccaneers hosting the... Where is that line? Is yeah, it, where is it? Where off is the it? board right now? Something. Are we getting like a Lamar Jackson action like yesterday, Remo, where all of a sudden one of the quarterbacks are out and the line's flipping seven points like it did yesterday? Um, most of the week it was minus 10.5 for the Buccaneers at home to the Giants. Uh, not entirely sure why that's off the board right now, but pay attention to that if you do want to get on it. You'll be able to bet it, I'm sure, in the next hour or so as we get closer to kickoff tonight in the in the uh, National Football League. And the CFL lines for the playoffs are out. Hamilton, a four-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Montreal. And the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, minus two-and-a-half favorites at home against the Calgary Stampeders. Of course, the Argos waiting for the winner of the Owls and Ticats. And the Bombers await the winner of the Stamps and the Riders. And the Grey Cup odds now down to six. The Bombers, a heavy favorite, minus 128 for the Bombers to win the Grey Cup. Uh, Toronto plus 525. Hamilton, six to one. Saskatchewan, seven plus 750. Stamps plus 850. And the Alouettes, the long shot of all the teams still in the dance at 11 to one. Um, Rumi, you heard anything on this Bucks game? Why it might be off the board right now? I haven't seen... Um... I haven't seen anything. I'm not sure why, but I just want to give a shout out. We did get a super chat here. I want to bring it up because I know you can't really see it. Shout out to John John who says, I saw that quote. Does anyone want to win this game at McMahon Stadium on Saturday? Thank goodness for hand warmer. Shout out to John. For the super, for the super, there was a jet. few folks. I saw the Jets Pope was out in Calgary on the weekend. Demo was at the game as well, and um, he uh, he said what everyone knows when they go to McMahon Stadium. God, that place is an absolute dump. Um, <laughs> Calgary needs a new stadium so yeah. badly right now, but uh, no more games at McMahon this year. Uh, they got to go to Regina on the weekend. If they win, they'll go to Winnipeg, and uh, obviously, if they can continue winning, they'll end up in Hamilton. Uh, but the home schedule finished. And hey, speaking of thank yous, Remo, I know a lot of people uh, checking out the uh, checked out the merch page. Of course, I've got the uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk hoodie on. You're rocking that quite a bit this week. Uh, you can pick one up as well. WinnipegSportsTalk.com. Go to the store, make your uh, make your order. Boom, shipped straight to you. And uh, we've got to thank Bruce and Ken for a couple of orders over the course of the last few days on the site. Yeah, it was a couple uh, trickling in. I know a couple of hoodies zip up. Uh, we have some koozies on there. There are still uh, a couple koozies. of, uh, I think there's a, a small number of these hats available on our website as well. So, um, yeah, uh, we're trickling in. So thanks uh, to those guys. And I saw Justin put one in uh, last week during the show as well. So uh, exciting stuff right there. No doubt about it. Uh, RIP to me in our DraftKings Eliminator pool. I, uh, uh, well, unless some sort of miracle happens, and I think the Tampa Bay defense can uh, get 30 points tonight. That will be it for my season. A disappointing end after a really nice start. Uh, but, man, pretty wild game in the uh, – a few wild games last night in the NFL, especially the Sunday nighter. What was it 24 points in the fourth quarter by the Steelers? But then it was Justin Herbert coming back in the final moments with the big touchdown for, what was it, a 41-37 win last night? Hope you took the over in that game. Uh, and, of course, 
Chiefs, huge win against the Dallas Cowboys and uh, doing it on defense right now. Um, you know, holding Dallas to under 10 points, pretty significant for the way Kansas City's trending right now. And the Vikings, if Mitch is still with us, I was laughing my ass off at Mitch's tweets. Another one of the uh, tortured Viking fans that was literally trading in his Viking card at the end of the, at the end of the, uh, the game. Uh, and then lo and behold, Vikes got a big win and what a huge win that is. I mean, I think green Bay's win in the North, but we've talked about that seventh playoff spot, Remus, that has changed everything right now. And uh, the Vikes, if they can, you know, win a few more games, they'll be uh, right in the mix for that after a pretty rough start. Yeah. Just shout out to John with another, Super chat. Thanks, John. Talking about uh, McMahon Stadium. But, uh, Thanks, John. Ap- appreciate that appreciate support. Appreciate you. As far as the games go, yeah, I was like, oh, man, the Vikings blew it again to Aaron Rodgers. He seems to know exactly how to tear up the Vikings D, but it was Kirk Cousins um, coming back. Rodgers maybe scoring a bit too quick at the end there on the bomb to Valdez-Scantling. Um, the Chiefs, we were talking about how, how they were done, how much they suck, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, uh, quickly. Is Ryan Friesen in the chat? Yeah. Friesen, quick, quickly, 40 bucks. You don't, don't spend it just yet, pal. Yeah, quickly, it's turned around. They're plus 330. They're favorite to win the conference at plus 335. Buffalo is second, but they lost again to Jonathan Taylor. It's oh. five touchdown day. Historic day for fantasy um, for Jonathan Taylor and the Bills. Now they're on a bit of a skid. They lost to the Jaguars. They lost yesterday to the Colts. They can't run the ball. I don't know. The Bills, they're not this. I don't think they're as good as they were last year. And um, yeah, that Sunday nighter. I thought it was done when the Chargers were up, but uh, credit to the Steelers who came back. Ben, he can still, 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 still slinging it. But uh, it was Justin Herbert who had a rough one last week. Uh, they came up with the win. So, uh, there was a couple. I do. I don't know if we missed. We missed anything. The Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I saw someone oh. uh, said in chat they had him in fantasy and still ended up losing. I don't know if they went up against like Austin Eckler uh, or what. Justin Jefferson, Rodgers. Yeah. So I'm tr- trying a to lot pull of points the- in in that Packers uh, Packers Vikings game tonight. And uh, of course, Bucks looking to get back on track. They've not been very. They've been terrible on the road so far this year. Mm-hmm. Certainly against the spread. Um, but they have been a lot better at home. They got a real good chance to get right. And by the way, Ray, I was just looking at the uh, I was just looking at the odds. You know what the early game is on on Thanksgiving Sunday coming up yeah, this week? Bears Lions, great a Bears, great tilt. Lions. Oh. Yeah, you got must see TV. Must well, see TV. I don't know who's on quarterback, but um, Justin Fields. I had a rib injury, so it could be uh, Andy Dalton time there against the Bears, who started uh, Tim Boyle at quarterback <laughs> yesterday. The Lions have not familiar with them. The Bears are only favored by three and a half, so we'll wait and we'll wait and see. I would probably uh, take the Bears, but it is in Detroit. I mean, can maybe we... this is going to be the Lions' win. They got to get a win sooner or later. They got Dan Campbell's got a tie. Got to get a win. We know they won't go zero seventeen. They could 0-16-1 is still on the table right now. Maybe they get it done this week. The other games for the um, Thanksgiving Day, Cowboys hosting the Raiders. Cowboys seven-point favorites. And the Bills looking to get back in the win column, going to the Superdome for the evening game. Bills at Saints. Bills four-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, all right, I'm going to get down to the Sastel Center and catch the end of these uh, afternoon games 
and then get ready for all our Manitoba women to get after it tonight with Jen Jones, Tracy Fleury, and Carrie Anderson all playing uh, against different opponents. Be nice to maybe sweep that Manitoba parlay that just about cashed last night. Terrible loss for Anderson and what could be a real costly one. Um, but I'll tell you what, Remo, I'm mostly incredibly happy that we have been able to kill this first show. No technical problems without you here on the road. I uh, I can't. And now I'm just super excited about all the things we're going to be able to do both in the city and around now that we've got this equipment and uh, it actually worked and we pulled this off. Yeah, no technical hiccups. We got it worked out. As long as we have an Ethernet port, people are laughing at the hotel Wi-Fi. We're not on Wi-Fi. We yeah, are wi- no. we are wired. That would have tr- been a deal breaker. Yeah, we're not. We don't trust Wi-Fi uh, here for these remote broadcasts. So we got it to work. I got to give full credit to you, Huss. I get you came over on Saturday, and I I must have, I give you at least two tripods. You got a light there. I think you have like three different webcams, uh, a couple microphones. Uh, it seems to be working. Uh, pretty good, and we figured this out. It, I don't and, know how it how it came together, yeah, but it, and you uh, set it, it all did. up. It was good guidance from the CTO. Yeah, you set it up, and I know you did that video too with um, Chris Abbott too. So, a lot of uh, potential for stuff we can do moving forward, and it's uh, pretty cool that uh, yeah, you're able to the go bullets. there. We can do this. Yeah. yeah, well, you know what? I'm super excited because, I mean, this is the sort of thing that I always love doing, and it, it was great for the show, too, to be able to go on the road, to go to some of these events, and um, this is a great opportunity, thanks to our friends at CoolBet, for uh, making it happen. Um, and I obviously love doing stuff with Chris, so uh, we're going to have a heck of a lot of fun doing that, following our Manitoba teams, the CoolBet teams, of course, Princess Auto sponsoring two teams, and it seemed like a uh, a natural uh, event to come out to for a Winnipeg sports talk with so much interest in it. Now, of course, tomorrow we'll be talking a lot more jets. Adam Big Hill's going to join us on the program. Looking forward to that. Uh, and of course the latest from Saskatoon and how our Manitoba teams are doing uh, as the uh, quest to become mm-hmm. Canada's representative at the Olympics continues. Um, a huge thanks to both Coolbet and Princess Auto for their support. Uh, Culligan Water, our friends at Vita Health, Manitoba Battery, not Autocorp, Little Brown Jug, Royal Sports, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, and of course the great taste of Canadian Club. Will uh, the Marble Race? Just thinking about this, normally two thirty on Friday means yeah. Marble Race. Well, the Jets are dropping the puck at two thirty. We're going to do an earlier show, so we'll confirm the time tomorrow. Likely eleven o'clock. I think that's probably the time that makes the most sense to do it. Maybe even a little earlier. So we will let you know officially when it is but uh for all you lovers of the marble race and uh, the prizes we're doing with canadian club you're gonna have to join us a little bit earlier on friday before uh an afternoon game for black friday down in the twin cities all right for michael remus i'm andrew patterson uh check out my twitter as well as the cool bet socials we've got uh, a whole bunch more content coming from the curling trials and we'll be back tomorrow to uh, discuss this jets penguins game tonight monday night football preparations for the CFL East and West finals. Lots going on and we'll be all over it here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Thanks everybody. Enjoy the game and we'll see you tomorrow on WST. Oh my God. Shut it down. Let's go Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com. 